and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. HagmanReport.com, that's our home base. We'll go there for program information. And we're live weeknights, Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. For as long as they'll have us, I want to say, uh, give big props to Todd, Global Star Radio Network. Thank you so much for, um, uh, for allowing us to broadcast on your satellite, of course. Uh, appreciate you guys. Appreciate the work that you do to make this program uh, go around the world, as well as BTR, Blog Talk Radio. There, you can uh, listen and, and also watch on YouTube Live. So there you have it. Um, John Robertson, we're, uh, he's our uh, program director and producer. He's uh, He'll be with us uh, Monday um, in studio full-time from the West Coast. So it's it's kind of it's a, it's a good move. And we are going to be, uh, live with video on Monday. And, uh, anyway, having said all of that, don't forget, we've got two, two additional shows. One at nine o'clock in the morning, an hour long. That's, uh, that's my show, Doug Hagman radio show. And then, uh, two to three is, uh, uh, Joe and John, the Hagman Daily Show, in addition to supplement our seven to 10 p.m. lineup. So spreading, spreading out the, uh, the entire, um, uh, well, we've, we've got, we've got some pretty good presence out there. And I've got to tell you that, uh, the, the numbers that we're getting back, the feedback we're getting were just, uh, uh, it seems, it seems to be going very well. I want to thank everyone for your belief and your trust in us because, you know, it's difficult to know who to trust anymore. Who do you trust when you're talking about, uh, uh, in this world of the post Obama truth, right? No, 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 as I said, post Obama truth. Meaning to say, well, that was intended to be a uh, uh, somewhat of a disparaging comment about Obama and how the uh, media has picked up on post-truth, that phrase, and how it's entered our lexicon. And, uh, no, it's, uh, again, it's it's a minefield out there in terms of the media. When you look at the media, it's just a minefield, 93%. Uh, 93% negative reporting on Donald Trump, CNN, NBC. All the way down to 52% on Fox. So anytime Donald Trump is mentioned, 93% of the time on CNN and, and, uh, and NBC, 93% of the time it is negative. Fox, 52%. So who's really fair and balanced? And as I had mentioned before, in the corporate side of things, the non-independent media, the corporate side of things, um, it's it's a war, and the truth is not being told out there. In the independent media, there's a war against the independent media, and that is of which we are a part. And, of course, we are engaged in this war and this battle, and I have to tell you, it is a daily battle to get the truth out there. So, having said all that, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks so much for your belief and trust in us. And understand that the the battle is raging to get the truth out there, 
and many people are not getting it, but others, but, but then again, many people are. Looking at our stats, uh, it's amazing. 165 countries already, um, and all three programs are, have, have penetrated the, have, have gone over the, our two programs individually have gone over the 100 country mark already, uh, seven days out. So it's pretty, either eight or nine broadcasts out. So it's, it's, it's pretty good. Having said that, uh, I got a great show lined up for you tonight. First hour, Dave Hodges and Paul Preston. Second hour, Steve Quayle and L.A. Marzulli. Joe, I'm going to kick it over to you. Oh, but by the way, before I do that, make sure, folks, go to HagmanReport.com and check out. We, we've entered into kind of a partnership with uh, WND Superstore. Any book there, any item at WND uh, Superstore, click on the banner. It'll take you over to WND Superstore. Use promo code HAGMAN and get yourself... Uh, whatever book, uh, DVD, any item there using the promo code Hagman. Joe, I'm going to kick it over to you. Yeah, we got a great, a great show lined up, as you said. In this first hour, we have with us Dave Hodges of the host of the Common Sense Show, and he's coming on with Paul Preston, uh, who is the host of Agenda 21 Radio. Uh, he's Red State Talks Radio's host uh, of the longest standing. Dave, are you with us? I am with you. Good to be with you. Oh, it's great to have you. And Mr. Preston, are you there? I sure am. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Dave, I'm going to I'm going to turn it over to you and let you introduce uh this hour and uh bring Paul on and and get this uh, conversation going. Okay, great. Um I just want to echo something that uh Doug said in the um the intro here. Man, if you guys I uh, and I don't want to get diverted here, but well, I just found out that uh <laughs> Uh, YouTube is going Nazi, and um, they're going to take all of us and put us in the corner where no one can see us, no one can make comments. Oh, it's going to be ugly. We got to we got to come up with a plan because the talk about uh, that the morning show is coming yeah. down upon us, huh? Yeah, I, I, I talked about that in the morning show. The bottom line is this: uh, you'll ADL. broadcast. You'll be yeah, ADL and two other groups. Uh, you, you'll be able to broadcast, but no one will be able to find you. You'll, you're, you're yeah, no one problem. will hear us, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. i got some thoughts on that. But that's another show for another time, but we're going to definitely get into it, perhaps in our segment on my show coming up Sunday. But anyway, I'm glad to be here with Paul Preston. Uh, he's kind of been my partner in crime. Uh, we've been looking together, uh, and I have to say that, that Paul is much more knowledgeable and, and touches the players on a personal, first-person basis um, I, I do the reporter's thing, and uh, Paul, Paul's right there, and he's embroiled. And it's everything from the Oroville Dam to um, the Calexit movement and to the State of Jefferson movement. And I support the State of Jefferson movement. I was covering the BLM EPA land abuses of the ranchers and farmers in Northern California and Southern Oregon uh, way before State of Jefferson was born. I used to interview Barb Peterson, a rancher in the area, and I had the, the this chapter and verse down. When State of Jefferson came along, I said, this is awesome. But uh, I just lay it out here in a macro level and uh, kind of let Paul take it over. But we've got the, uh, a legitimate State of Jefferson movement that can follow administrative procedures, and they could legitimately have a chance to become the 51st state, which is a good idea. It's a great idea um, for a lot of different reasons, but it's more – the thing I, what I like to see here is that people who are free-minded, independent thinking, and care about the Constitution and fair play 
will actually be in control of a state. Watch out for the population growth. Um, the Calexit movement is a cancer. The UN wants to break up our country. You know, Nixon had the 1972 map of 10 regions, and this is actually coming into fruition, not necessarily in that same exact geographic format, but the idea is coming in. Canada's trying to uh, get Washington and Oregon to join something called Cascadia, a new province. So the Cal Exit movement for California to leave the Union is the first step in the breakup of the country. I think you first knock America on its backside, Cal Exit comes in, and then the breakup just takes America apart like a stage four cancer roaming across the country. And so Cal Exit and State of Jefferson are diametrically opposed. You can't have one plus the other. It's one or the other. Cal Exit is backed by George Soros, the United Nations, you know, all the people that we know on the independent media side of things that are anti-liberty. And then there's the Oroville Dam. And I'm going to put this out there as a conspiracy macro comment. And then I'm going to just step aside here, and I want Paul to jump in and fill in the details. Here's my greatest fear, guys. Right now, the State of Jefferson movement has a splinter group, and they are associated with George Soros's MoveOn.org. We've published pictures. Paul's really turned me on to a lot of great information. We've got tweets that incriminate them. Uh, we've got newspaper reports that incriminate George Soros involved in this movement, and he wants to destroy it because he's for Calexit, and I said they're mutually exclusive. But here's my nightmare, and this is what keeps me up at night. The Oroville Dam and the 10 dams upstream are in real, real trouble. This danger is nowhere near over. And I really believe if State of Jefferson gets killed as a movement, then what could happen is a false flag where the Oroville Dam it doesn't take much. Tip it over, here it goes, massive death crop destruction like you wouldn't believe, famine and food shortages. Now the CalExit people have a way to distinguish the federal government from the state of California, and they might be able to convince the Californians who aren't in favor of it now to go with it. They have resurfaced it as a ballot issue. I see. I saw that today. Um, that's what keeps me up at night. And I think we're looking at, at a scenario when the Oroville Dam breaks where you have a million and a half to two million people in the way. And on that, let me turn it over to Paul. Let me tell you, this is the guy. If you want an expert on what I just mentioned, he knows all the players firsthand. He's involved in the meetings. He has sources in secret meetings and that people report back to him. So, Paul, come on in here and just kind of pick up where I left off. Sure, Dave. Thank you very much. And it's uh, nice to be on your, the show with you guys. And, uh, you know, this is a big issue, obviously. The Oroville Dam has been around since uh, 1964 when they first started building it. They completed it in 1968. And as Dave has reported uh, very well, actually, over the last um, several months, uh, the concern about the dam, and, of course, we've reported on Agenda 21 Radio. In fact, I've been up to the dam now 28 times. I live in the area. I was one of those people that may have been killed on the night of uh, July, uh, February 12th when uh, the order was given to evacuate and I'll explain how that all went down but um, yeah myself and another million people were potentially uh, could have been victims a million people uh, could have been wiped out that night and that is no small number obviously it would have been one of the world's greatest catastrophes uh, but it was something that uh, quite frankly everybody's looking around thinking uh, why did this all happen and it points a lot of fingers right at Jerry Brown the current governor who wants to destroy dams throughout the West. And he's, he's done so uh, much that he's hired Bruce Babbitt 
the former Secretary of the Interior, to help him tear down dams in California. So everybody's kind of looking around at the negligence that was shown at the Oroville Dam by lack of repairs over years, but obvious situations were pointing to a disaster that was in the making at the dam. They were ignored. The governor refused to fix them. There were lawsuits and so on. And then ultimately on February 7th, the spillway, the main spillway, failed. It created quite a hole and a cavity in it. I'm sure everybody's probably seen that visual. And from the 7th to the 12th, it was a disaster in the making because the Department of Water Resources made the decision to shut down water flow over the main spillway, which caused the reservoir behind the dam, of course, which is Lake Oroville, to rise. And when it started to rise, it had only one place to go because the spillway, the eight spillway gates were shut down, not entirely, but shut down their flow so much it didn't match the inflows. And water started to overtop the emergency spillway. The next thing would have been overtopping the dam. And what you had at the situation is you had one failure mode, which was the main spillway. And then shortly, and I went up, I was actually on top of the dam and actually witnessed the water flowing over the emergency spillway and witnessed for myself the erosion in front of the spillway. This was on the 11th. And realized that, and I didn't know anything about dams. I was just a basic novice like everybody else. But I realized there was trouble. And it took them from the 11th, it took them from the time I was there, from the 11th until 3 o'clock or 3.30 in the afternoon on the 12th, to finally make a decision that, gee, they had a problem there. And in fact, it was a rather mysterious decision-making process on the part of the Department of Water Resources as to why they didn't evacuate people earlier. And I know it upset a lot of people when the evacuation came in, but it also upset the sheriff, his name is Corey Honey, who did not even get any information transmitted to him by the officials at the dam that there actually was trouble. And in fact, it was just on a whim, by happenstance, he decided to go to the dam at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon just to see the dam, the office buildings of the Department of Water Resources, just to see what's going on. And of course, my understanding was he was prompted because some of his deputies were saying, we have a problem, you might need to go up there. And so he goes up there, and this is documented, we have the stories, we have the recordings of the sheriff telling his story publicly about what happened. And it goes like this, that what happened was that he was walking around the Department of Resources and everything seemed normal. Nobody seemed to be concerned or anything like that. So he says, hey, I'm not needed here, I have no useful purpose, those were his words. I'm going to leave now, I'm going to go home and have a cold one, enjoy my Sunday afternoon off. And so he walks by one of the office buildings and he looks around and he sees a man with his head in his hands looking at a photograph. And so he steps, it looks very distressed, one of the engineers there. And he walks in the room and one of the women that's next to him says, does the sheriff know about this yet? And so he's standing there and says, sheriff know about what? And he said, well, we got this problem, sheriff. And so the guy starts to explain. And so the sheriff goes into questioning mode like a detective would, questioning a suspect. And he goes, well, what does this mean? What does this mean? And so he finally gets out of this guy that we have a problem with the emergency spillway and with erosion. So immediately this individual, and I know his name, this individual says, well, we've got a break here for a second and I need to talk to my other engineers about this. And I'll get together with them and they'll come back and talk to you. So about 15 minutes later they come back and they say, well, 
we have a problem. And he goes, well, what is the problem? He says, well, we have erosion. And so he goes into, again, the questioning sequence, just like a detective questioning a suspect. And he says, well, what does this mean? He says, well, the water is eroding the soil in front of the emergency spillway. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that the water ultimately is going to do what's called head cutting, and it's going to start eroding the soil in front of the weir, it's called the OG weir of the emergency spillway, and it's going to ultimately undermine the OG weir and cause it to collapse. And he goes, well, what does that mean? Well, there's going to mean that there's a 30-foot wall of water, 1,600 feet wide, that's going to come out and empty the top of the dam and empty about at least a third of the dam. And so he says, well, what will that do? Well, there will be catastrophic loss of life. There will be cars all over the, you know, everything will be destroyed, buildings, everything within the wake of the wave. And he goes, well, what? He says, really? He says, well, how many feet per hour is that going? He said, well, it's going about 30 feet per hour. So he says, well, where is it now? How many feet do we have before it gets to the OG weir? And this guy looks up and says, 30 feet. 30 feet. We have less than an hour to evacuate over 200,000 people. I mean, if you can't describe more gross negligence than that, and those are pretty much his words. You can go to my website and you can view it and you can listen to the sheriff tell that story in his own words. It's stunning. Paul, what's your website? Where can people find this, what you just described? Agenda21radio.news. Agenda21radio.news. And you can go there and click on the YouTube channel that we have, and you can go to the story that says heroic decision, heroic decision, and you'll see a picture of Sheriff Corey Honey there. All right. So, you know, what that meant was that not only that, the inundation zone, which, by the way, we had to get the inundation zone maps from other sources besides the water resources people. They didn't want to show us the inundation zone. That water would have traveled some 70 miles down to Sacramento and would have killed at least a million people. And what happened was the sheriff called the emergency, called the evacuation, and pretty soon, in his words, he pulled the big red lever, and people started to evacuate and created quite a panic scene. We had over 188,000 people that were stranded on the roads in the middle of the valley and had that water come through that emergency weir and collapsed it, then we would have lost those people immediately, a good 200,000 people right up front, but also would have gone through the communities and gone all the way down into Sacramento, killing at least a million people. Now, that is just absolutely phenomenal to think of, but I went through that. I was trapped. I could not evacuate. I would have been killed. You know, I have a little problem that I would have been killed. I think everybody would understand that, that in the hands of these negligent people at the Water Resources, I was almost killed on February 12th. I don't appreciate that, but yet we've heard nothing from Jerry Brown, the governor. The Jerry Brown, the governor, who wants to tear down dams. See, this is all this wacko craziness about we're going to re-earth people. What Jerry Brown has designs on doing is eliminating dams in the western United States. He's already allocated $250 million from the Prop 1 money that he had to actually breach four dams along the Klamath. Now, if you know about breaching dams, it's not ecologically good for the for the ecosystem, it's a disaster. So, you know, kind of... Well, Paul, let me interject this real quick, because you're absolutely right. I covered this before the State of Jefferson movement. 
uh, Barb uh, Peterson told me, and as well as some other people I interviewed, that they were concerned that Brown was going to let the dams go and that the EPA could care less. And I said, well, what will happen? And they were using some excuse that the salmon was too far from their habitat and all that nonsense with the EPA. But with the answer I got on what would happen if they let the dams go, first of all, no one's doing any ranching and farming. That fulfills the wildlands fulfillment of the Agenda 21 maps we've all seen. The second thing that would have happened, and, and this just floored me, they said nothing will grow here for a long time but algae. And I go, oh, my God, where have I seen this before? The Gulf oil spill, and this is why they use Corexit, the most dangerous dispersant in the world, banned in 17 countries, because it traps the water, uh, the air in the water column, and nothing grows but algae. And then all these algae farms popped up after the Gulf oil explosion. Soros and Gore and all the usual people and suspects showed up there. And that's what will happen in that Central Valley if this happens. All that agriculture will be gone, and they'll have algae. And you guys, I'm sure, have seen on television the the biofuel ads that are purporting to say algae is going to bring down energy costs, and the globalists are now promoting it. And that just reinforces my notion that the Oroville Dam, at a time of the globalist convenience, will be used as a false flag to further all this. But, Paul, let's take this into the state of Jefferson uh, two movements now versus CalExit. Yeah, let, let me uh, double up on what you're saying, I, because people need to understand the magnitude of the inundation zone that they're talking about here, because people don't understand this and they just can't fathom it. They, they're stuck on the fact that a wall of water would come down. There would be a cascading effect uh, in the dam system. You'd lose the head gates at the main spillway. Those would give way and start carving out, and ultimately the whole dam would go down. That water would cause about 14 feet of standing water in Sacramento. Like I said, we'd probably lose a million people. But more importantly, which plays right into this whole Agenda 21 depopulation process, the inundation zone would include... uh, one of the richest rice-producing areas in the world. Two-thirds, depending on well, depending upon the season, this area that I'm living in right here is the second or third largest rice-producing area in the world. It's also home to stanchion apiaries. Stanchion apiaries is the largest producers of queen-pollinating bees in the world. Now think of that, and what kind of what would happen to the eco the food? Availability on the planet, you'd wipe out another hundred million people from starvation. Now, the connections with the other organizations and so on is uh, kind of unique in the sort of a battle for the the area of Jefferson. The, uh, the the state of Jefferson formation has been around for a long time, and people have wanted to stick, uh, form a new state out of Northern California, which is totally understandable. Lack of representation and so on. And um, some movements have sprung up. The latest, the one before this one that was really the big one was uh, the one that started in 19, the 1940s. They wanted to separate at that time parts of Southern Oregon and um, Northern California, and they were about to do so and go through the whole process. And I'm skipping a lot of things. You can read the history about it. But the reason why it stopped, because on Jan- or, uh, December 8th, uh, they – we're going to go forward with it with the legislature and start the process, but the problem was I'm talking about January or December 8, 1941. So Pearl Harbor happened to stop that, and then they picked up uh, some other uh, situations in California, some other scenarios developed, um, 1992 and others to try and form a state. And then some others, uh, another one really took off about four or five years ago, 
with the formation of the state of Jefferson, and it's really gotten a lot of attention nationally and so on. And the state of Jefferson formation was formed. Things were starting to happen. Counties got together. They submitted some declarations to the state government, which is a big process to have done. Then all of a sudden they took a twist, oddly enough, and they declared that they were going to form a state with a lawsuit. Well, there's never been a state formed with a lawsuit, and that became quite a little bit of a problem for a lot of people within the movement because they're thinking, well, we signed up to form a state. We didn't sign up to form a lawsuit. And they've lost a lot of support along the way. They might feel that they have a lot, but there's really a lot of people who have left the movement because they don't have any connectedness to a lawsuit, and they don't see it as a positive thing moving forward. So people started to form another sides group from that and actually realizing that the only way to move forward with the state was to do it legally and lawfully through legislation. And so another group called the CCR, which is really the Council of County Representatives, was formed from many counties that were involved in the Jefferson movement to bring this forward. And they're the other group now that's in competition. I happen to be a member of the CCR, and we're trying to create something to create a new state that will be a legislative state. I mean, in other words, if you are going to form a new state, you have to prove to the government, the state government or anybody, that you can govern yourself. It's just sort of logic. But these people don't really want to focus on that, and their attention has been turned completely away from it. So you have these two competing groups, the state of Jefferson movement, and now it's called the new state movement, CCR. That's different. Both of these movements are completely different from CalExit, and let me explain. The Jefferson movement and the CCR movement are state-split, constitutionally approved. I mean, the Constitution, Article 4, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution, approves states to do this, to go through this process, but they have to go through the process. That's the key thing. They have to go through the process. And if they don't go through the process, well, obviously there won't be a state. Now, that's just sort of fundamental. Now, this is not a secessionist movement. No state, Jefferson or the CCR, the new state movement, those two organizations do not want to secede from the nation. In other words, that's forming a whole new country. And the last time that was tried was in 1861. And I don't know if you guys all know your history, but something happened at that point, and 700,000 Americans died as a result. And there's only two ways you can secede. One, you can get something like 38 states to approve that they want California out, or you can have revolution, violent revolution, and that was White versus the state of Texas in 1867 decision. And they say it very clearly. And what we have heard here in California from Jerry Brown, a tyrant, a true tyrant, and California is a communist land now, clearly. It's a monoparty. It's a dictatorship. Whatever Jerry Brown wants, he gets immediately. He can pass a bill in the Assembly unopposed. He can pass a bill in the Senate unopposed and sign it, whatever he wants, in law the next day. That's what we have. It's a dictatorship. And Jerry Brown, as you know, is a radical environmentalist, radical environmentalist who wants to depopulate the planet. When he became governor the first time in 1974, Jerry Brown was a radical environmentalist then. And he said, we have too many people in California. We must bring the population down. At that time, we had 19 million. Now we have 40. 
So he comes back for a third and fourth term. And everybody says, how does Jerry Brown get to do that? How does no other governor's ever done that before? Well, in the term limits bill in the 19, in 1990, uh, I believe it was, they made a provision. This is kind of sneaky, but this is the way when, as you guys know, um, if you go and check the history on some of the events that are happening now, you figure out they planned these things years ago. Jerry Brown was allowed because he was the only governor, the only governor that in the state that um, had served before 1990. And they say in the provision of the, of the term limits law is that any governor who has served after 1990 cannot serve multiple <laughs> terms. So that opened the door for him to come in to serve three and four. And, of course, with our election fraud system here in California, he was, he was a shoe-in. And, of course, now we're into the eighth year of this. His programs are very, very far along. He's, uh, he's taxed us into oblivion, over-regulated us. The California middle class is depleted. And I don't know if you saw the guy from CalExit last night in uh, Tucker Carlson. It was incredible. And their plan, and he revealed it, as been what we've been saying on Agenda 21 Radio, is get rid of all the Californians and replace them with people from South America, Mexico, and Central America, and even, of course, Islamic countries, which, of course, Jerry Brown has opened up the floodgates, offered tons of incentives for illegals to come in, and uh, that's what they're doing. They're really, and, of course, La Raza um, has been very, very active. In fact, we got uh, information back in December that five Obama administration officials met in Sacramento with the Mexican consulate. Uh, with La Raza, with Metro, with La Familia Nuestra, with uh, several several state legislators, and the meeting was focused on what's next. In other words, how do we split California apart? And questions were being floated, and sub meetings were held that that were being promoted. That if you don't get the approval of all these all these states. Will you turn to violence, and how can we make that happen? And that was all coming from La Raza. In other words, in their statements, if you listen to the La Raza, they are hateful, bigoted people. They, and I used to work with them as a school administrator for years, and they used to talk about how they're going to take California back, you know, the, the Reconquista movement and so on. But they also used to say, we're going to kill you white people. We're going to uh, – and, and actually, um, I was given a presentation in January to a Tea Party, and a guy walks in out of nowhere – and he's, he's a Mexican fella, and I was reporting on this information, and he walked up and he, he said, look, I'm here to warn you because I was in the meeting, in the meetings that Paul Preston's talking about. He was actually there and heard these things. I've seen the videos. I mean, this is outrageous, but this is what they're planning to do. Now, CalExit, funded by George Soros and Ryoshi Sasakara Peace Foundation, he's another charmer, the Ryoshi Sasakara Foundation is very tightly tied to Jerry Brown because it was Jerry Brown's dad, Edmund G. Brown, that put the financials together for the overthrow of Sukarno in Indonesia in 19, the 1950s. And so they got a royalty for doing that from the Royal Dutch Shell for a dollar or $2 per barrel, but they had to provide legislation for the use of uh, Indonesian light sweet crude to the California market so that they can refine it and be used in California. So that we reduce the smog levels, right? See how they're using the environment? So that was in the 60s. And, of course, we got CAP, we got the uh, California Air Resources Board carved from that. We got all these oppressive regulations that have uh, destroyed California's infrastructure. So it's been all part of the plan uh, for Agenda 21. And uh, now we've got these movements that have, that, to try and break up the state 
And quite frankly, we need to break up the state. We need to have this takeover, prevent the takeover by CalExit, and they're very well funded. And, of course, what they want to do is break away and become their own nation, and they want to report to the United Nations. Paul, they've even put an embassy in Moscow. I have pictures of it on the commonsenseshow.com, and you're right. And you said the key person there, George Soros. And this is what really got my attention. Paul contacted me about a week ago and said, Dave, there's a different group. I call them a splinter group, the SOJ51 group. That's their website. But listen to what Paul was telling me, and I researched it, and it's 100% correct. Mark Meckler, who was one of the foundation founders of the Tea Party, he'd been having conversations with Joan Blades, who was the founder of MoveOn.org. That's one of Soros' primary babies. And then they had a well-publicized living room meeting. And at the living room meeting was a guy named Eric Eisenhammer. His company, Dauntless Communications, does the website for this splinter group, Jefferson Group. So you have Eisenhammer, who's out giving State of Jefferson messages while wasting the people's money conducting lawsuits rather than working administratively to withdraw. I think they're trying to waste resources and destroy the movement. And Meckler, Eisenhammer, connected to this movement, and they're going to destroy it so CalExit can emerge. And this is the big danger right now. And, and, and Paul, I don't know if I said everything maybe in the sequence I should have, but, but I need to, and, and guys, I apologize for this. Uh, I'm facing some major back issues, and i got to go see a surgeon right now. Um, and I'm sitting outside his office, and I've got to go take care of that. But, but, Paul, I want you to go ahead and elaborate on what I said, because if these people get their way, and this is why I jumped into this a big way, CalExit will win because the State of Jefferson movement will die. And that's where my Oroville false flag scenario comes in. Paul? Yeah. Well, Dave, um, Dave, Dave well, uh, uh, Paul, hold on a second. Dave, we're going to cut you loose now. Good luck, and uh, God bless you. We'll talk later, but uh, uh, we wish you the best in this appointment. Okay. Thanks, my friends, and I'll talk to all of you very soon. All right. All right. And our guest now is Paul Preston. Uh, Paul, go ahead, sir. Continue on. Well, you know, as um, as Dave was saying, the the information about uh, George Soros kept on coming up to all of us. In fact, there was an article that was published in the San Francisco Chronicle back in January. And, of course, this whole thing going back and forth and back and forth with Jefferson, and a lot of people were really curious, and, and I know this is what really prompted Dave's curiosity, why, uh, why hasn't the Jefferson movement in three and a half, four years progressed to the point where it's going to form a state and then he started hearing things, well, they're not trying to form a state. So, you know, naturally his curiosity was like, what's going on with that? And, of course, it was with me, too, because I'm no longer part of that movement. And in fact, I rejected it because they could not provide for me proper financials to describe what was going on with their movement over a year ago. And then come to find out it's been the same way with other people as well, but even though they've been trying to to garner a million dollars for the lawsuit, which I, you know, I was a supporter. I was, I was trying to arrange things. I would, at one point I was arranging something that would have brought in a half a million dollars. Uh, yet it was uh, basically slammed in my face and other people's faces, which was really kind of an interesting little process. And I, I thought, well, why is that happening? But the, the kicker came, um, when they could not provide for me their financial uh, information about what they were, uh, no corporate documents, no nothing. 
And so I said, you know, I can't be a part of that. You know, I do radio. You guys know what that would be like if I'm pushing something and it's not correct. You know, so just the standard questions. And then there's other people that have been going through the same process where they want to give the money, yet they won't want to give them. There's one individual who wanted to give them $700,000. And the individual just asked some basic questions. You know, I've got to take this to my board to get you guys money. I want to give you the money. And, of course, they were seeking them out. Hey, we want your $700,000. But they didn't want to give them the documents. And this was about a month ago. So this guy kind of went, wait a minute, what's wrong with the picture? And, of course, tie that in with the fact that nobody's really moving towards a state itself. And people will say, yes, we are. We've got committees and all that. Well, those committees have been sitting on the table now for, what, two and a half, three years, doing nothing, doing nothing for progression towards a new state. And like Dave said, we need this. You know, we can't have any screwy things going on. We need this movement or the CCR movement or the new state movement to succeed because we understand that this will break the back of Jerry Brown, and it will. And the things that they have planned for California, which is no good. I mean, nobody's asked the question of anybody with the CalExit, you know, program. What's it going to be like when you take over? What about our constitutional rights? Because, you know, we've got a constitution and we've got rights, correct? I mean, in California, if that was the case, we'd lose them. Well, what kind of governance system would you have? See, they don't even answer. Yeah. So, okay. And I didn't mean to over-talk you at all. You've got, okay, so the way I see it, you've got really three different factions fighting for two different geographic areas of California. Am I right on that? You've got the establishment, the globalists, then you've got the two other movements, including CalExit. Well, perhaps the four. No, CalExit is the globalists, right. Okay, or I'm sorry. Yeah, the CalExit is the globalist secessionist movement. Right. Okay, all right. So having said that, how do you see this playing out? Because this, to me, is extremely dangerous. Right. This is dangerous ground. Right. Any misstep could go really sideways in a real hurry. That's right. Yeah, so how do you see it playing out? Well, there's a couple of things in terms of the scenario that I see playing out. I see this CalExit. It's well-funded. They do all the polling and everything because they've got just billions of dollars behind them to make it happen. This is all being, you know, Jerry Brown, I've called his office to get clarity, you know, because this is a secessionist movement. It's illegal. And what they've got is right now currently they floated a resolution or they've got a proposal for a proposition, and they're right now gathering signatures for it, and that was all fostered in by the Attorney General, Javier Basara, who is very much a Jerry Brown acolyte. And he, of course, fostered this whole thing. It's a secessionist movement. It's illegal constitutionally. Yet the Attorney General, who's right in bed with Jerry Brown and the globalists, he said, you guys get all you need is 585,000 signatures out of 40 million. You're good to go. I mean, it's really lightweight treatment. And so what they plan in this movement is to get the president, it's going to force the governor to negotiate more autonomy with the federal government, which would lead to the breakaway of the state. That's what they plan. That's what their proposal is. That is an illegal act. And, of course, there's all kinds of questions. If they get the signatures, they get the vote, it gets up on the ballot, and it does succeed, what's going to happen? 
that will be a very interesting question. That's going to, they're trying to get it to go on the 2018 about, uh, ballot. So that's where they stand. In the meantime, you've got this rush to form state, a, a new state, um, over the counties of Northern California. And, you know, one, one, one group, one organization is trying to do it the right way legislatively, and the other is trying to do it through a lawsuit, which has never been accomplished because the judiciary does not make states. That's a legislative process. That it, it has, that, that has to do with the legislatures of California and the federal government. So, you know, you kind of wonder what is going on. And like Dave said, you know, when um, the articles appeared in, um, you know, in January from San Francisco Gate that showed uh, Blades and Meckler and um, Eric Eisenhammer, it's, and then they, you know, you got one of them working for and providing a consultation to the state of Jefferson. You kind of wait, go, wait a minute, and you give it pause, and then, then all of a sudden, is it a distraction from reality of forming a new state? And that, that's, it, it would play and work to the benefit of Cal Exit if that was the case. And no one can afford to do that, because this is, you're talking about the breaking up of this, you know, this country. They want to take another star off the flag. That's really what they want to do. And neither the Jefferson group or the CCR group wants to see that happen. But the leadership of the of the Jefferson group needs to take stock, obviously, in what they're doing, refocus, and try and get those get something going legislatively, which are way behind the eight ball on. Wow. Okay. And and, and I can see this taking place. You've got Brown in there. I was going to say inexplicably, but not so inexplicably, I guess. You've got right. him in there, and it's almost like um, the way Obama. Yes. Eight years in the White House. I, I, I would exactly. liken it to, you know, so, so there's an agenda at play here. And of course, Brown is this, uh, Chavez worshiping, um, uh, socialist <laughs> communist guy. Uh, so, so w- what can Brown do that could advance the globalist agenda that, that apparently the, the, the state legislator, the legislature, um, is, they're in, they're in Brown's corner, right? I, I mean, the whole, the whole oh, state's corrupt. Uh, yeah, that's basically the and of course the Republican Party is also equally as corrupt. The Republican Party in California is um, inconsequential, as um, people in Sacramento will tell me. They're not relevant. Yeah. They're irrelevant in California, and that's true. They are. And, and of course, what we find is when you start digging into them, and of course we we put this out there a long time ago. That you got Soros influence there, and uh, they basically corrupted the leadership of the Republican Party, guaranteeing that um, a strong Republican governor wouldn't run. We had Neil Kashkari run for governor against Jerry Brown. That was an absolute shoe in. I mean, yep. and who's Neil Kashkari, and where did he come from? Well, he came from a ba- the, from the banking interest, and he was just plopped right in there by the Republican Party, the leadership of the Republican. Now, listen, I got to tell you. There's, there's strong conservative Californians and Republicans that are strong and that don't, that are rejecting this, but they don't have the control of, of the of the California Republican Party. It's clearly in the bag for Brown and the globalists. So there, this yeah. is what we have. We have a dictatorship. It's clearly a dictatorship. Jerry Brown is on his 16th year as governor. Yeah. It, uh, and then before uh, that, you had the socialist governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's true, and pe- people have oh, yeah. this mis- 
misunderstanding about Schwarzenegger, complete misunderstanding about him. I, I just find it interesting as you, as you talk, uh, uh, that, uh, I remember Johnny Carson having Brown on and also making fun of Jerry Brown back in the 70s. Okay. Right. What was it? Right. He was in, he was in the office in, uh, uh, 75, you said, I think. Right. Well, uh, I think 74. So yeah, 74 is when he was elected. 75 okay. he started. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, I recall that whole process. Okay. So, uh, th- this, boy, I'll tell you what, I, th- I think this is one of the more underreported stories that you're referring to here, uh, well, with the exception yeah, of you. We've gotten into the Orville Dam part two. Okay. Which, you know, Orville Dam enter stage right. Orville Dam is still a problem. It's still in failure mode as a dam. And it still has a lot of water upstream that's being stored by nine different, um, reservoirs and dams upstream in the Feather River watershed. It's one of the world's largest watersheds. And all these dams are in critical mode. A lot of them are starting to be in failure mode themselves because they're so old. They haven't been maintained and taken care of. But, you know, what people are seeing and witnessing as they, they hire a company named Kewitt to come in and make the repairs on the main spillway. And we had a Robert B. from Cal State, uh, Ber- or University of California at Berkeley, uh, who is an expert, an elderly gentleman. I've had a chance to meet him. He's quite phenomenal, but he is a ca- catastrophic engineer. Uh, he has done all the studies all around the world for years about large catastrophes. He's an independent, and he has an independent uh, panel of about 12 different dam experts, and they all say they came out with a 124-page report just last week that condemned roundly what's going on at the dam. And as Robert B. several times has said, it's patch and pray what's going on up there. Uh, there's, and he, he's protesting a number of different things that we've been talking about on Agenda 21 radio since day one. Uh, one of them being the headworks at the top of the dam where the main spillways are. There's eight spillway gates and the headworks is in a complete catastrophe. The, the headworks, which by the way, for years now, the, FERC, and it is not a qualified dam. It is on a provisional basis year to year. Certification is year to year. That Usually these things go 50 years. They won't give them anything out of a year because the dam has got so many problems with it. And the spillway gates in particular, you know, the spillway gates, they have these big, huge cement columns, and then they got the gates in them. Well, they have these things called tendons. And they have big, huge bolts on them, and they're supposed to go down in the cement, and, you know, you can tighten up the top part of the spillway to the bottom and, you know, that sort of thing to adjust it because over time they get out of kilter. You know, it's, it's a moving thing. But the problem is those tendons have rotted away, and you can't do that. This headway, this head, this headworks is on, a, a, it could go at any minute. That, and everybody's wondering, and I've talked to dam experts all around the nation, because, you know, last time this was all tried, around the 12th, I almost died. So, like, I've got a vested interest there. Yeah. And they tell me they cannot. They're totally baffled as to why they're working on the bottom of the spillway first rather than the top, which needs it the most. And they said, you know, what's happened, the classic people, they've all said this. I've talked to about five or six of them over the last couple of months, and they've all said the spillway top, the headworks, has to be fixed first. Forget about the bottom because the bottom can be repaired because the, we found out that when – the water was flowing over it. It reached what's called stasis. There was no more erosion happening because the water had found its own static position to be in. 
And and so the, the there's no danger in terms of head cutting or anything like that anymore. That because he got to the rock and so they they're wondering why are they starting from the bottom working up and then they're not even going to do repairs on the headworks that need to be done. Some of the headworks have big it's like sheet metal and it's really thick sheet metal and some of them are cracked. Hmm. Well, why, why have that crack? Well, you know what they did to repair it? They painted it so you couldn't see the crack. They got the Seriously, I'm not making it up. It's in oh, the report. Man. The the spillway itself, the spillway has long been a problem. They've known it's been a problem for years. The concrete and so on wasn't really thick enough and, and so on. They had never really checked it. The last time it was checked by the Department of Water Resources, they didn't even walk out there. They just took their binoculars and looked at it and said, oh, it's good. It's all good. And, of course, that place that they looked at, uh, it, that's the place it broke. But this, I mean, the hijinks, the reports and the inspection reports are just, they point to absolute abject negligence on the part of the governor to not fix it and the DWR. So the, Jerry Brown, by the way, Jerry Brown has yet to come out to the dam. This is no Yeah, he hasn't come out. No, no, if, if, okay, if I, if I can just interject a question here, because I know PolitiFact had taken this on and, and said that the, uh, uh, many of the issues you're referencing, um, are issues that, uh, one of the assemblymen out there, Travis Allen, claimed that the, uh, dam failure was entirely avoidable and the $7.5 billion water bond in 2014, but, uh, Brown didn't spend any money on it and PolitiFact is saying, oh, that's all BS. Uh, however, you're you're basically you're affirming what uh, the assemblyman is saying, right? But, you know, Travis Allen's actually right. I mean, absolutely. The PolitiFact is terrible. You know, the, the reports are right there. All I need to do is Google them, and they go to my website, and I have them all and all, all the different stories about Orville. You can read them; they're all plain and simple. We press, we put them out. Myself and Chris Reed, who also writes for Breitbart, we put them all out there. They're all fact checked, I and mean, there's no that's the obvious reports. And they're there. PolitiFact has it wrong. <laughs> Clearly oh, yeah. wrong. And by the way, I love your website, Agenda21Radio.News, folks, is Paul Preston's website. Um, a lot of information, information rich on that website, Agenda21Radio.News. Uh, go ahead. I didn't mean to take you off your track there. Well, no, that, no, the, uh, but the, the problem is, is that you, you've got this lack of, re- and of course, this is another thing. They've come out and to, to manage the disaster, they want to have good PR with, with the community. So they've come out and they've had about eight or nine different community, uh, discussions, town halls, if you will. And it's kind of interesting because they've been asked numerous questions about the spillways, the headworks and so on. They were confronted about the B report in the last time and they came up, they, they denounced the B report, which I find absolutely amazing. That, oh, we don't need to worry about nothing to see here. I mean, so the, the, a good example of how they've treated this. The green spot, they call it. And we reported this. We're the first one out of the, uh, the, out of the gates on this. The green spot. Now, the green spot is an area that's always shown green during the winter and uh, during the springtime and fades off into brown. It's obviously water that's on the face of the dam. This is an earthen dam. This is not a concrete dam. It has a concrete core and a clay core, but it's mostly rock. In fact, there's a problem with the rock. The rock was all dredged up from the gold mining days and used in the dam. So in other words, they would come in with these dredges all throughout the, the Feather River area and dredge them just like you see on Gold Rush. And, you know, tons and tons and tons and miles and miles of river rock were available. So they used all this river rock and they broke it into three grades, small, medium, and large. Okay, that's great. 
The problem is, if you know anything about rock, and if you want aggregate, you have to fracture the rock. They never fractured the rock. So you have literally gliding rocks on this huge, it's the largest earthen dam, one of the largest in the world, it's the largest dam in the nation. 3.5 million acre feet behind it. It's enormous. Yet they've got this huge green spot that's growing on the left abutment of the thing. And of course, we've been putting it out there is that this is a problem. I mean, if you have a green spot, if you have water on the face of an earthen dam, you've got a problem. Enter the Grand Teton Dam, which was an earthen dam that collapsed in 1976. It inundated an area of about 300 square miles, but by the way, which was largely agriculture, wiped out the agriculture there for years. And by the way, I find it very interesting when you take a look at the inundation maps of the two, they're almost identical, including down to a butte in the center of the inundation zone, which I, I, you know, I don't know about you, but the, the, the tinfoil hat conspiracy thing starts to kick in. Oh, did I say that the company that built the dam in the Tetons, Kewitt, they're the ones doing the repairs right now at Orville. <laughs> you can't make it up. I mean, you can't make this up, but there's other connections too to Kewitt and their electric company that was involved in 9-11. That's another part of this. So it's leading some people to conclude what we're seeing here is, and this is from one of my uh, listeners and from YouTube. I've seen this on my YouTubes and so on. What we're witnessing here is a controlled demolition, which opens it up for the other thing. Now, I want to get back into this green spot. This green spot is interesting because it grows or it's located right above the tube that goes into the Hyatt power plant. Now, we reported that on the night that this things started to happen on the 12th. We reported because we got the report. I, you know, I know people who work there. Hello, I live in the area. I used to work in Orville. That they exited 30 trucks out from inside the dam that had nuclear weapons in them. What? <laughs> yeah. So I said, what? And so that, yeah. I, I was like, what? So I put that on the back burner until I got some more calls later on. Then I started looking into it. What we found out, and this is all documented, they were doing nuclear weapons research in the bottom of the dam. And they closed down part of it in 2014. In fact, you can see that it's from Lawrence Livermore. They had a big celebration about it going on. And so then all of a sudden the curiosity started to pop up, and I started to find out it wasn't. And I Listen, this came from people from Lawrence Livermore. This is where this came from. They said, do not talk about my name. I said, absolutely not. But they were exiting equipment that were a part of the nuclear weapons research that they were doing, and they also took out what are called ADMs. You know what an ADM is? I didn't know until I heard it. You know what it is? It's called an atomic demolition munition. And ADMs were a bomb or weapons that, and their weapon system that the military uses to destroy. Are you ready for this? And ladies and gentlemen, if you're driving a car, put your hands on the 10 and 2. They're designed to blow up dams. Really? So we sit there and look at this and say, okay, we had stage one. We had uh, we had dam failure in the emergency spillway, which would have led to a dam failure in the headworks, the main spillway. The panic is going on. People are, the inundation is happening. What better thing could we have happen than in that tube where that green spot is located underneath than these ADMs to go off and finish off the dam and empty that entire reservoir? I, you know, that's just tinfoil hat thinking, but you got to put that stuff into perspective. Uh, Paul, we, we, you only have, we only have about a minute left at the top of the hour. This is absolutely fascinating. Um, we can direct people to agenda21radio.news for all of the information you have compiled, correct? 
Yeah, it's all there. And you just type in Oroville on the search okay. feature, and all these articles come up. All right. I, you're, you're right. You can't make this stuff up. And no. to hear, this is incredible. Okay. Uh, you see, they wanted what and, they wanted was the false flag. This is a one world order business here completely. And, um, that's what this is all about. And that's where, what Dave is concerned about. That's where he got all the stuff. He started looking at these articles and like, whoa, wait a minute. Soros to this to that, you know, and started connecting the dots on his own and he's done the work. Would you, would you come back on with us sometime and, uh, sure. continue this discussion? All right. My Absolutely. brother, thank you so very much. Hey, thank wow. you for having great, me. Wow. Great to have you. All right. Thank you, sir. Folks, that was Paul Preston, Agenda 21 Radio, uh, Agenda21Radio.news. Amazing information. Uh, wow. Absolutely incredible. Uh, we're going to have him back on for absolutely certain. Tremendous resource of, of information. And this story just gets, just continues to get more convoluted. Folks, we're going to be right back. Network break, followed by Steve Quayle and L.A. Marzulli. Stay right where you're at. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. It, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an M.O.K. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. 
consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com, PreciousTimberProfits.com. Hagman Report, two very special people on with us, and I'm not going to waste a minute at all uh, of their time. Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com, L.A. Marzulli, lamarzulli.net. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, uh, two pioneers in the research of the archaeological research of the uh, of, of the topic of of giants in in the biblical context. I'm not talking about cartoon giants. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about the biblical historical context that's been proven. And two 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 pioneers. And of course, uh, uh, there's a conference coming up in Branson, Missouri, and we're going to be getting into all of that with our guests as the remainder of the program unfolds. Before I turn it over, I just want to wish, and everybody should wish. Steve Coyle, a belated happy birthday. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say any more than that. I'm not going to say that he's older than I am. I'm not going to say that. Uh, but uh, uh, Or better looking than I am. But uh, I think he just hung up on me, actually. Anyway, with us, Steve Coyle from stevecoyle.com and L.A. Marzilli. Steve, welcome to the program, sir. Seriously, I think he just <laughs> did he hang up on me. No, no, no. Is this Doug now? Am I on? Yeah, you're on. Yeah, you're on. Yep. Yeah. Well, Steve, uh, hey, first of all, I apologize for being a little bit behind the switch. As I was getting ready to post one of the stories that's breaking on my website, guess what, Doug? My whole login, my whole everything disappeared. Really? And that's, you know, a lovely night to have that happen. But anyway, uh, tonight we're going to have an, an amazing show because L.A. and I are going to talk about the corresponding areas of our research. And obviously all of those of us who will be at Branson uh, September 15th through the 17th are pretty much original researchers going out in the field and traveling, uh, you know, to wherever we need to go and sending our film crews there. And I want to make a statement right out of the, the shoot that we are going to see now so many leaks in the dike that has held back the truth for so many literally millennia that as we come into the i would say the fullness of the biblical last days being uh shown uh in living color for us all the idea is simply this that the greatest cover-up and cover over history they're coming apart at the seams and so i believe that it will be god's initiative to reveal all of the hidden works of darkness not the enemy using the hidden works of darkness to destroy god's people and you know i want to deal with something right out of the uh, the box on this too the reason this whole thing about giants is so important is because god guaranteed in genesis that 
uh, you know, basically the seed of man would conquer the seed of the serpent. But yet the devil has been trying all he could in all the times and machinations and all the power that was afforded him as one of the most powerful, if you will, archangels. And actually he's more of a, uh, you know, an anointing cherub, according to Ezekiel 28. But the point is, is that these things are coming to pass right before our eyes. And as we were basically, uh, L.A. and I were together with Tim Alberino, all the people that went with us on the conference, we had Anselm P. Rambla give us a blow-by-blow account of the places we were at. Uh, obviously one of the world's lead explorers who uh, more than clued us in to the areas in Peru that are, interestingly enough, aligned up again with Orion, aligned up, aligned up, excuse me, with Pleiades. And so what's happening is everyone's worried about, or not worried, but saying to me in my email, I'm sure you're getting it, Doug, L.A., I'll turn it over to you, L.A., in a second, the fact that, you know, what do you think of the alignment that's coming in September? What do you think of the eclipse that's coming the 21st? And I said, well, that's, that's good, and, you know, there are people that are smarter than I am on that stuff. But I'll say this, it will pale in comparison to what's coming up on the earth. Because you're going to have a synchronicity or a corresponding set of releases that are going to be in the heavens, on earth, and uh, not only earthquakes, but disruptions. And if my emails and their increasing uh, panic, now I'm talking about Christians. I know that no Christian should panic. We're promised in the Word of God that basically... Uh, you know, God will deliver us from our fear if we obviously surrender to him. But fear is coming upon the earth because Jesus said men's hearts failing them for fear for looking after those things coming upon the earth, and that's up on the earth. So as the volcanoes rage and as the earthquakes, you know, increase in intensity, and as the uh, lies of history, which have been promulgated to this point, continue on and on and on, it becomes really apparent that we are in a different world now than we ever would have thought we'd been, and everything is accelerating. So I'll turn it over to L.A., and L.A., when you're, uh, you know, uh, tired or want to break, give it back to me, but <laughs> let me ask you this. What's, what's, what's the credit, or forgive me, not what's the credit, but what's the area of your expertise now where you, you're concentrating your efforts, having just gotten back from Peru, having obviously going to be one of the keynote speakers, True Legends Conference, Branson, Missouri, September 15th through the 17th. So tell me, where where are you at right now? Because we haven't talked, Doug. So you know, since we both got back from Peru, I don't think we've talked. We've emailed a couple times, but go ahead, L.A. Well, Steve, first of all, happy birthday to you. And uh, Thank you. I think I'm a little older the last time I checked. <laughs> I think like six months or a year or something. But, you know, anyway, I just hope you had a great birthday. But you know, well, thank you. Um, if I if I can, yeah, if I can weigh in here just for a second, it's amazing how <laughs> the powers that be let stuff out, or somebody blows it and lets stuff out. Now, what I'm talking about, and I I, I sent it over. Um, it, it's in the chat, Doug. If, if you can, you know, it's on my Skype thing. I sent it over to you guys, but it's a picture it was found on Ynet uh, a couple of days ago. And it's, it's a typical archaeological picture. There's a skeleton that they uncovered, and it seems to be a Canaanite, yada, yada, yada. thing's got six fingers. It's got six fingers. The skeleton, plain as day, just like I found on Catalina, it's got six fingers. Now, normally what happens, just like at Catalina Island, when I discovered that cache of records, um, it had already been picked through. Archaeologists, anthropologists, researchers had already gone in there. They had taken all these photographs. Everything was cataloged in Manila with 
Gooden, Gooden Photos, Catalina, Gooden Photos, San Miguel. These are the Channel Islands right outside of uh, Los Angeles on the California coast. So everything was it wasn't like I was opening up a trunk and examining everything. Well, that wasn't the case. Everything had been picked over. And what amazed me is within two hours, I was finding anomalous, and I mean that, underline that, and italicize it, photographs that shouldn't be there. It's skulls, six fingers, the two stones, Boy, hey, Doug, he's really cutting out on every other word. Yeah, the, uh, LA, uh, the, uh, your, your audio, you were just, uh, the last paragraph there. We've, we probably heard every eighth or ninth word. So you might want (laughs) to repeat, repeat that. That's just so bizarre. I wonder why it's doing that. Your connection sounds good. Your audio sounds good. Okay. Maybe I'm banging on the desk too much. I should calm down here. Um, on Catalina Island, what we discovered were anomalous photographs. We discovered nine-footers. We discovered elongated skulls. We discovered six fingers. All that's not supposed to be there. And all those photographs were hidden away, literally. Hidden away in museum boxes, never to see the light of day. When we published an Amateur of Nephilim 2, what has now gone viral, the Ralph Gooden photograph where he's standing in front of the giant, when we went back to the museum, it was redacted. It, in other words, cropped out of the picture. The picture was was blown up, thrown up on the wall, and underneath the picture was a hit on Ralph Gooden. Is my audio better or what? No, you, you just you yeah, it just blipped out just for a second, but we, we got the, the context. Sentence, yeah, 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 yeah we, we got it all. It's better. Very strange. Very strange. Well, it's not very strange, L.A., because, again, I'm telling you, watching what's happening, and I'm going to see if, uh, do you guys have him? Because he's cutting out on me. I can't hear him. But just for the record, everything that we used to talk about at the beginning of the release, the information on giants, whether it was a Lovelock cave in Nevada, the red-haired mummies here, there, everything is in full-scale sanitation mode. But while they're trying to sanitize the old stuff, and what I would say the dead stuff, the skeletons, etc., the reports of live giants are coming in from around the world. And I'm talking about from everybody from missionaries, I'm talking about from businessmen, I'm talking about from naval uh, officers, I'm talking about from uh, Air Force officers in India who are sending me some amazing stuff in uh, some of the giant tombs dug and everything, but here's the deal. They can't keep it under control, but every time, it's, you can count on it, every time we bring up something, they'll do their best to mess with it. Go ahead, L.A. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's exactly what you say, you know. you know. I remember when you broke your story um, on the on the giant, and you, and you had the pilot on coast to coast, and I just sat there with my jaw on the ground going, you know, you've got to be kidding me. And, and a couple of years later, um, we got wind of this guy who said he was a shooter. And, you know, we covered this in our Watchers series, and then you and I talked about it, and we introduced the shooter and, and the pilot together. And this is what neither of us knew before we sort of teamed up on this thing. It's it's two accounts. It's two different accounts. And since then, there was another guy that came up to me at a conference, and he was active military, so he couldn't come on the record, and he just told me point blank, 
and this happened in Iraq um, around 2005 or four, right around in there. Uh, when and he told me he was dispatched to an area. The moment he landed, his security clearance went up to whatever you know, top secret, whatever whatever clearance he needed. He was immediately promoted, not only with security clearance, but he was promoted in rank. And and he told me there was something on a crate which was covered up. And I said, well, he goes, it was biological. And I looked at him and I said, was it a giant? And he just nodded his head yes like that. So, I mean, we know of three. And that's, to me, that's like really troubling. Because we don't know how many more are underneath the ground. And that's where they're from, in the tunnel complexes. Well, I think, too, that it's it's not only troubling, but it's also uh, a major point of contention because, Doug, L.A.I., Tim Alberino, Tom Horn, uh, Dr. Michael Lake, uh, you know, uh, uh, Derek Gilbert, the speakers that are going to be at the conference, the one thing we come up against, people say, well, why, uh, why is this stuff even important? You guys should be talking about salvation. Well, we do talk about salvation. I just want to go sure. on the record of stating, since people have uh, heard all of us talking about this, a lot of people are giving their hearts to the living God over the fact that the churches are basically, I can say this, they sound like chickens and they should be soaring like eagles. I'll leave off the other word at the end of chickens. But in Second Samuel 21:20, there you go. And there was yet a battle in Gath, where there was a man of great stature that hand had on every hand six fingers and on the every foot six toes. Four and twenty. I'm sorry, four and twenty in number for twenty-four. And he also was born of the giant. So in the Word of God, it makes it clear that this is a separate group of people. I was fighting, and I'm sorry, I, I'd like to sanitize it. Where the man said, "Well, I don't care." what it says. Here's what I think, it being the Bible. But the point is, is that it's critical to understand that everything is about the... <coughs> I apologize, everybody. I got crud again. Uh, everything in the, in the entire Old Testament has a central theme of the giants resisting the people of God. And everything now that's going on in the world of genetic engineering, transhumanism, all of the muted genesis taking place, all of the laboratory experiments based on the experience of antiquity are taking place. They're combining animal and human DNA. People say, well, why is that important? It's important because you're going to deal with it. And I don't know about you, L.A., but my e email box is filling up with people, Christians, who are having supernatural encounters with very evil and malevolent beings. And when they stand their authority in Jesus, they go. But what we're saying tonight, everyone, is this stuff is real. And it's very, very important that you understand it. It's not something that, and, and you know, I, I can't even go into all the arguments uh, against talking about this stuff, but the main argument in talking for it is that there's nothing new under the sun. And the same entities that existed prior to the flood, the giants, the, the offspring of the fallen angels, and I want to make it clear, giants are the offspring of the fallen angels. Giants have a supernatural life force. It's not a bunch of big guys waiting for 2,000 years to jump in a time tunnel and come and play basketball and beat all the seven-footers because they're <laughs> twice the size. So, you know, the idea is simply this. It is the Rosetta Stone of history. 
God absolutely spells it out. It's the law first mentioned. In the rest of the Old Testament, they're called Rephaim, from the Hebrew word Rapha, which means dead. Now, it's funny, L.A., I won't tell you who, but somebody who is no fan of yours or mine, people can guess. Look, I'm not into putting people down. Obviously, they like to put me down, but I won't put them down by name, but by concept. Went on the biggest uh, show, Coast to Coast, and made a statement that there was nobody taller than seven feet. Well, I yeah. just so happened to send this guy, uh, or send uh, uh, Coast to Coast George Nori, a picture of a guy that was eight feet tall. That's a contemporary guy in, in modern day, and he descends from the Giants. His friend has six fingers, six toes. And that's coming, that'll be Doug revealed. So what we're going to do, and L.A. has... That was a picture, we've, Steve, that yeah, was a picture you ahead. sent me, right? That, yeah. That was, yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, you saw so, how tall he was? Yeah, I, I did, and... and yeah. Yeah, there was no CGI or, or I mean, that that no. was a bona fide picture. Okay, go ahead, sir. Right, and it came to me in real time, everyone, from halfway around the world. I'm going to be kind of cautious here because i got to tell you something funny. When we did, and, and L.A., we're being watched, you and I, we're being watched by the people. You've probably been on the History Channel and A&E and some of the programs and stuff. But let me tell you this. Uh, we're being watched, and the minute we watch them, they, you know, it's interesting because they're going to people like Tom Horn, uh, Cliff Mahooty, the gentleman, the uh, Zuni elder, and they're basically following in our footsteps, but they're going to try and put their spin on it, okay? And we all know what the spin is. It's the alien spin. Yeah. So, again, the idea, and, and I'll turn it right now to L.A., the idea is, and this is a, a warning to those of you who are original researchers, be careful of phone calls that want referrals, because what they're doing is they're going to tie and take the narrative away from us. Go ahead, L.A. Well, you know, absolutely. You know, our research down in Paracas with the with the DNA, which, by the way, is ongoing and right now, and I, I don't mind saying this, but we've got about 31 samples at two different labs, and, and they're being, we've done extractions, we're looking for haplogroups, and those results will be forthcoming as soon as I get them. It, it'll be, um, you know, we'll, we'll make a formal announcement and talk about it. And we might even do some peer review papers. But interestingly enough, the same character that you're talking about, Steve, also um, went out out of his way to find a uh, a Darwinist who was also basically a geneticist who looked at our our DNA work that we did down in Paracas and disparaged it. Well, Mondo Gonzalez, who's our head archaeologist down there, he's an American citizen, but he, he, we, we employed him, and he comes with us down to Peru. We did the extractions, and we, we, were abs we have it all on film. We haven't released that film yet. It's all on film. We did the extractions um, to the T, exactly the way we're supposed to do it, um, as instructed by the Paleo DNA Lab, which is up in Canada. And what's amazing, this woman writes a hit piece, and this, you know, this guy that was on Coast to Coast, I won't mention his name either, um, goes out of his way to disparage not only your work, but my work. But no one ever contacted me, which of course is the biblical mandate. If you've got something against your brother, you know, why not, why not come to me and say, hey, LA, what about this DNA? And I can tell you, and I can show you, uh, from from different labs that the haplo groups first of all um, are Middle Eastern and European that rewrites history if it holds so far we've got uh, six samples 
that that are European or Middle Eastern ancestry, which goes against the Darwinian paradigm. Now, of course, this woman is saying, oh, it's all contaminated. Oh, it's all contaminated. Well, that's easy to say from her point of view. It's very easy to say, well, it was all contaminated. But how does she know it was contaminated? And why do we keep getting the same results over and over and over again? And so it was just a blatant hit piece. And, of course, Mondo Gonzalez wrote this very, very fair rebuttal, which I posted. And it's been crickets ever since. It makes me wonder why someone like this would go on coast to coast and insist that there's nothing over seven feet, and yet I've got photographic proof of just under nine feet out on Catalina Island. And this is exactly what Glidden said. This is why I went out there and I tracked it down, because I got wind of a story that was published in the Los Angeles Times where Glidden talked about a race of giants that he was beginning to uncover out on Catalina. And it made the front page of the L.A. Times circa 1919 and 1921. And by going out to Catalina, and which took, by the way, six months to get at, to gain access to the archives, but when I got out there, there were the photographs. And you know, you say not only the, the giant skeleton, but the elongated skulls are there, the six fingers are there, and you you know you can't people go, oh, it's cradle headboarded L.A. Look, the more and, and again, this this one particular guy will tell us everything's cradle headboarded, nothing to see here. With all due respect, this gentleman, I use the term somewhat loosely, um, he has never handled one of these, to the best of my knowledge. I've handled multiple uh, skulls and not cast. I mean, the real deal. I've been, to, I've been to numerous museums. I've had access to these things. And what we've discovered is the morphology, and I'll be talking about this, by the way, at Branson. This is part of what, what I'll be discussing at Branson. And that, you know, folks, it, I think it's sold out or close to it. So live streaming is the thing to get at this point. And live yeah, and it, it, yeah, let me interrupt you. It is sold out, so live streaming is the only way to get it. And again, LA, you're going to break stuff. We're going to break stuff. And Anselm P. Ramla, who's held on to some of his discoveries for 40 years, I find it interesting because all of us are going to be there, and then people can use their God-given ability to pray, their God-given ability and knowledge of the Word of God. But when I get, and when I hear, now look, let me say this. I'm not a nice person, okay? I'll say it so you don't have to send me this and say that, yeah, I'm not a nice person. I admit that. But at least I want to have the intellectual honesty to basically uh, deal with facts and not pull on some hellish Darwinist uh, in a Christian argument to dispute a Christian brother. First of all, let me say this. In defense of L.A., my work, Tim's work, others' work, when we go digging up, and literally the case, not just old bones, but old records from the conquistadors that knew how to measure stuff and skulls are 42 inches from the eye socket to the back of the head when there are over 12 records or records forgive me of stuff that is uh, uh, on the uh, what would you say on the radar and on the scenario of everyone else then you can go and see it. It bothers me. It bothers me that people are that stupid to say, well, there's nothing over nine feet. I will make a statement right now that will probably astonish everybody. 
But the, the idea that there are people in the U.S. military and special operations of branches that everyone is known not to exist, in other words, there's no records, even to the point of, uh, you know, uh, finger um, fingerprints and other identifying marks being manipulated in such an extent that even if you had palm prints or anything, you couldn't tell that these were the original people. But when they tell me that they're battling the same things, L.A., that your guys told you that, Al, you know, that uh, all over, uh, uh, all over the, uh, um, what would you say, all over the military, I'm sorry, I got so much to say in a short time, that there are so many uh, eyewitnesses to this that it now is coming to the point in the mouth of two or 3,000 witnesses, let every word be established. So, ladies and gentlemen, you may not believe the 18, uh, 1880s or the uh, 1909s or whatever the reports of the Kincaid expedition, but you were told that, and we were told by an insider, 170 74 million artifacts that are historically out of place or scientifically out of place are stored in the warehouses under the Smithsonian's care. And just to prove this, and I'll give it right back to L.A., I'm excited about this. I've been fighting with the uh, 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 pimples waiting to pop. That's a pretty gross description of some people that don't believe anything about the giants, and they make sure that their opinions are all over the Internet. Finally, finally, there are some people in Australia and New Zealand that have done a marvelous tracking of Maui. Maui is one of the islands, obviously, in the Hawaiian Island change, but they don't understand that that was also an Egyptian seafarer that basically there's so much evidence now, it can't be denied, that sailed the entire Pacific. Sailed the entire Pacific. The gods of Egypt were in there and everything. Now, fast forward to the late, um, oh, the late 18, 1880s, and uh, one of the guys who was an Egyptian uh, prime minister, he asked the Smithsonian, he asked U.S. government to return all Egyptian artifacts that were in the United States or to destroy them. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like basically an Egyptian parliamentarian or, you know, the prime minister basically wanted everything covered up or brought back under his control. So what I'm saying is this, ladies and gentlemen, when I hear, and I'm saying this, when I hear someone make a dumbass statement like there's nobody over seven feet tall, well, then he better just give it up and forget basketball because the point being is that thousands of records testify against him every myth and legend testifies against him every single newspaper article every single find people that have spent 50 years of their lives on the opposite side of the world tracking this so again somebody says well you sound like you're a little irritated oh yeah but it's beyond irritation. It's beyond the fact that why would someone claiming to be, quote, a believer, attack when he can't attack on the basis of fact, but just make, you know, uh, uh, stupid statements, but he can't back it up on history. If we write books, if we talk to the Native American elders, if, if L.A. goes to Peru, he deals uh, with all the Paracas skulls. And by the way, that's not head-binding. Why do you think the Egyptians, who didn't practice head-binding, head-bound? How do you think blonde-haired, blue-eyed people got to Peru uh, in the Chachapoyo region. How do you think those blonde-haired, blue-eyed people ended up in the South Pacific? How do you think all this stuff spread? It wasn't because of isolationism. It was because of diffusionism. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, that th- those two words, isolationism, diffusionism, we need to just break off for a second and talk about it. 
the Darwinists believe in isolationism. That's the prevailing paradigm all through archaeology, all through uh, the Darwinian scientific community. That's what they believe, that people are basically isolated. They really don't move around. They just kind of stay there, and things move very, very, very slowly. I'm a diffusionist. I know Stephen is. There's a whole bunch of us out there, and the diffusionist believes, no, people want to travel. People go, well, what the heck's over that hill? I don't know. Let's go. Okay, let's pack a lunch and go. And that's what we believe happened. We know, look, I'll tell you something, Steve. It's really interesting. Um, the isolationists insist that America's Stonehenge uh, didn't exist, that the Phoenicians weren't there, yada, yada, yada. And yet, and yet, when we go to America's Stonehenge, which I've been to, and, I, and it's actually when, uh, all that research is in one of the books plus a YouTube video, whatever. The bottom line is, and it hinges a circle, there are standing stones, sometimes 100 yards, sometimes 200 yards away from the center of the hinge. So when you stand there in the center of the hinge on the summer solstice, which is the longest day of the year, the sun comes up over that standing stone. Most Native Americans did not create sites like this, but it, wait, it gets better. And this is what's amazing. And this is the work of Kelsey Stone. He went on Google Earth, and he drew a line from the center of America's Stonehenge, which is in New Hampshire, okay? Drew the line out to the summer standing stone to see where it would go. And he continued the line and continued it, and further and further and further, and he wound up in England, but he wound up in Stonehenge, England, and that line bisected perfectly the center trilithon, which is three stones, two uprights and a column on the top, creating like a a, um, a bar up on top, a, a doorway essentially. And that's impossible, and it's not a coincidence. And when he continues the line further because of the curvature of the earth, all you flat earthers out there, you wind up in Beirut, Lebanon. Beirut, Lebanon was one of the homes of the Phoenicians. It's diffusionism. They traveled. And that site was abandoned. And then you move over slightly just to another place where I've been numerous times, the Great Circle Mound in Ohio, which when you stand there, the first thing that hits you is, my gosh, how did they do this? There, it's a hinge. There's a moat on the interior, a waterway on the interior, which goes down about eight feet below the surface. The entire area is dead flat. Why? Because the moat won't work, or the, the hinge part, the waterway inside the hinge will not work unless the area is flat. That begs the question, how do ancient Americans in the Stone Age, because there are no iron tools pre-Columbian, how did they do that? There are no transits. How did they do that? There are no levels. How did they do that? Yet it's there. And originally, there were two serpent heads at the entrance to this thing. It's a highly charged place. They found evidence of human sacrifice. Surprise, surprise. And what's amazing is originally, when the white man came into the area, they asked the Native Americans, who built this? And the Native Americans, and this is on record, stated, we don't know. It was here when we got here. And that goes back to, I call it Nephilim architecture, fallen angel technology. Because in my opinion, that all these sites, you can only really appreciate them from the air. And who is the prince of the power of the air? Hasatan, Satan, the fallen cherub. For the record, I just want to be clear. You're referencing the Newark Earthworks, correct? Correct. All right. 
Okay. And you know, one question I had lingering because because I visited the uh, visited that uh, with you, as a matter of fact. Um, and and this might have nothing to do. This might have not have anything to do with anything. The fact that there were strawberries there planted around that 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 ring does that have anything to do with anything, or is that just circumstantial? Doug, say that again. The fact that there were what around the ring? Strawberries. You know that strawberries there forever. Strawberry plants. I know that sounds like an odd question to ask, but. Uh, good question. Hey, hey, Doug, I can't resist. Maybe that's what the Beatles were talking about, strawberry fields forever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, L.A., it's just, you know. Oh, man. Well, you know, coming out of my mouth, that question seemed a little bit odd. However, I had to ask that question because that's been bugging me for like two years. I just, because it it almost seems like everywhere I go or everywhere I look with respect to these mounds, there are strawberries. And maybe it's just the the area. I don't know, but interesting, interesting, very interesting. All right. Okay. Well, hey, Doug, are we taking a break? Or are we going through it? No, go go through it. Uh, you, your words okay. are valuable. Network has agreed to to bypass a break. So uh, go ahead, thank sir. you. Thank all of the sponsors too. Here's here's where we're at, ladies and gentlemen. The Rosetta Stone, which was found by Champollion that gave the ability to translate hieroglyphics into Greek and Dodatic, you know, which is kind of a, I think it's a Syrian language, D-O-D-E-T-I-C. There are so many stones now. You know, what's interesting about the witness, excuse me, And we got smoke in the air in Montana, and it's just pollen central. We've got so many witnesses in the stars and in the monuments of stone. And for the record, fake news didn't exist then. The idea was simply that they recorded what they saw. They tried to explain it, but the advanced technology of all of the positioning of the megaliths, the monoliths, the cyclopean architecture, the Nephilim architecture, the mathematical genius of it all, It did not come out of a pond, and it did not come out of uh, people crossing the land bridge into uh, from Eurasia into the uh, you know the North American South American continent. What it is is it's a testimony to the fact that they they this is I think this is the point we got to get across, L.A. The official, if you will, subversion of truth. They're going to use all of these everything we've been talking about. Tom Horn's been writing about. We've all been talking about writing about making videos about it's all going to be used by the globalists, the luminists, the Satanists, the Luciferians to present a total different history than the Bible. And what's critical to understanding this, the one thing the devil hates more than anything is the Word of God, the Holy Bible. It is now Google's, uh, they're going to have a committee to determine what is no longer going to be allowed to be placed on the Internet. And I don't know if you saw that, L.A., but let me just share this. If it's perverse, twisted, uh, sick, disgusting, it's okay. If it's righteous, redemptive, moral, and has anything to do with the Bible, it will not be allowed. And uh, I think Susan Duclo is writing an article, maybe she's already written it, but the point is, we're there now in time, where we're trying to teach people, and one of the things that Branson, I want to make this clear, Branson's going to present, by the grace of God, a start-to-finish understanding of all this stuff. Uh, And it's really, excuse me again, 
boy, a tough night. It's really imperative that people see it. Now, they can attend. It is sold out, totally sold out, but they can live stream. I, I would encourage those of you to understand that not only we're just presenting all this cool old stuff, but, uh, you know, Henry Gruber is going to be there, and he's a statesman in the kingdom of God. David Langford's going to be preaching on Sunday. And it, we don't have, listen, most of us don't have what it takes to, to go through what we're going to be going through in the coming period of time. I don't know if it's years, I don't know if it's months, I don't know if it's five years. I don't know that. The point is, though, is I know this, that by the way this thing came together in record time, by the I'm talking about the Branson, Missouri, by the way everything lined up, L.A. was able to go to uh, uh, Peru, we were able to get some, uh, meet some amazing people, you know, down there. But the way it all lined up and stacked up right now, and then September is the conference, I see God doing a thing. He's shortening the time, and his people, and those of you that can't attend, you... You won't lack anything outside of, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of people being there because obviously a lot of people like to be conferences. I'm not short selling it, but I'm just saying this. We've gone to a lot of expense to make sure everybody's got a front row seat in the live streaming. Uh, the guys that are setting all this up are professionals. So you can go, you know, again to the conference page, gen, gen six, what is it? Gen six conferences.com. Uh, let me make sure of that. I've got so many websites, Doug. I can't even keep them straight anymore. No, you but got that. You got that one right. Yeah, genesisconferences.com. Yeah, yeah, but the point is, is that they need to absolutely um, get signed up for live streaming. We have to buy buy it in blocks of a thousand. And so, if we go over that, and there's not, uh, you know, we're we're going to be stuck at certain numbers. So it's gen6conferences.com, and you can go on the the middle banner, True Legend Streaming. Now, people said, now get this, we were telling people on your show, we broke the story about the conference, and they said, well, I didn't think that, you know, I could, I would have to hurry, and I said, well. I can't tell you the timing, but I know this. If God's speeding up the time, then you probably should speed up your response to the events that you're already noticing in time. So the idea simply is this, that we're going to present, I believe, the most cutting-edge and up-to-date research. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not just talking about all this old stuff. We're talking about there's nothing new under the sun. If you don't think genetic engineering is going to affect you, think again. If you don't think robotic sex bots are going to affect you or your children's future, think again. That doesn't mean you're going to utilize uh, their uh, uh, machine intelligence or other parts of the robot. But the point is, is that people don't get it, Doug. Everything that God made is being attacked, and it's being, if you will, perverted. The Old Testament word is corrupt, and we have corrupted our ways. So I'm hoping people understand this. So when we're talking, look, we get pot shots taken us at all the time, and I get emails, and I'm sure you did too, L.A. What do you think about what so-and-so's saying? Well, he can speak Hebrew. Big deal. Uh, so could, uh, uh, you know, what, Belshazzar, and, uh, Belshazzar on the wall, and uh, he couldn't uh, read until it was interpreted by Daniel that his kingdom is about to be lost. I believe God has written the equivalent by the hand of God in the skies. Go look at my website today, and a picture a person submitted is uh, literally, it looks like war coming in the clouds, a guy with an M16 rifle, it looks like, and a tank in the background. Somebody says, oh, you're just seeing what you want to see. I said, it's interesting. At least it's coming from the west to the east. 
and that hit, that matches Henry Groover's vision. So getting back on track, the whole attempt to to divorce humanity from the biblical truth, the whole attempt to control the narrative is to basically bring in not the Hegelian dialectic, but I would call it this, the Luciferian ultimate plan, you know? It is designed to bring us to that point where everything we used to know was true is now questioned. So they, they, keeping a person in a perpetual state of flux, that's what the, their side wants. I believe what God's going to give to all those who are attending and, and uh, you know, who'll see the DVDs, who've ordered the DVDs, is a sense of understanding that we are now in the time of the end that Daniel spoke of, that knowledge would run to and fro, but it's being unsealed. And it's interesting, as the knowledge becomes unsealed in the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation, it's Jesus who is worthy to break open the seals. Go ahead, L.A. Yeah, and that's that's something that we need to understand, that we're living in a period of time. You know, I used to say like 15 years ago I had hope. Um, I believe that, oh, things could turn around, and I know things are a little tenuous, a little tumultuous. You know, you look around the globe, and, I mean, it's you can't fix it anymore. I mean, maybe 20 years ago you could kind of fix it, but it's gotten to the point where you just can't fix it. It's just crazy. And, and I mean, there was a there was a story today on, on a lot of the media. Um, a bunch of crazy thugs went in and, and just beat the daylights out of this guy on a train, um, because he asked the kids to stop smoking pot. Lawlessness. I've never seen such lawlessness, and it's rampant. It's everywhere. It's all throughout America. It's all throughout Europe. Look at the drug cartels in Mexico. I mean, are you kidding me? I blogged about that this morning. I mean, there's a, there's a spiritual dynamic to everything that we're seeing, and it's not going away. And you're right, Steve, when you talk about the powers that be, they are hurting this planet, and not, you know, the leaders that we see, fine. What's behind them? That dark Luciferian agenda, which has been in play, the mystery of iniquity, has been in play literally for, for millennia and continues to work and is working overtime now. And it hinges, the springboard to it is the Darwinian paradigm. The idea that, you know, there is no ultimate God, there is no right or wrong or, or moral absolutes. Do what you feel, which, by the way, is do what you want to do. It's the first tenet of the Satanic Bible. Thank you very much. So, Everything is out the window when when we go back and we look at the Darwinists. And the Darwinists is this Darwinism is the springboard to the ancient alien show, which says that, you know, we were visited by ancient astronauts and they seeded us here. They genetically manipulated early man. They started the world's civilizations. They started the world's first religions. And now, at this critical juncture, and make no mistake about it, I'm not a prophet. The late David Flynn talked about this. There's gonna be a nuclear device unfortunately, that will be detonated somewhere on this planet. And when that happens, that will create the greatest amount of fear that human, humanity has ever collectively experienced. <clears throat> and when that happens, that's when they show up. And all bets are off. And that's, you know, it'll become this global, the Bible tells us, it'll be a global one-world religion and a one-world global government. Can't buy, sell, or trade without the mark. And that's where everything is headed. It's like on steroids the way it's heading right now. And I, I don't see any let up to anything. I mean, you got the nutcase in Korea, Kim Jong-un, doing his stuff. You got a crazy imam in California, you know, who's saying death to the Jews. We got to annihilate the Jews. My state, California, right? 
Isn't that great? So then he apologizes. Do we really think that that, that apology is, is, is worth the, the air it took to actually voice the words? Of course not. Uh, that guy is allowed to lie to the infidel. Guess what? We're the infidel. So he's lying. His, his core value, what he believes, is that all Israel should be wiped off the map. Death to the Jews. And that's why he finally said it. And it happens every Friday, Friday at the, um, in, in Iraq or Iran, rather, they stand up and go, death to America, death to Israel. And under the Obama administration, you know, basically Obama kowtowed them. Trump is doing something different. Can you fix it? No, because the deep state is in charge. And the deep state and the shadow government has been in charge since World War II. Eisenhower warned us about it. it it's there in the JFK thing. And I talked about this, I think, last night on some show I was on. But it's true. JFK, in my opinion, the last president that we really had, other than Trump. And Trump was never supposed to be there. It was Hillary all the way. She's a globalist. And that's that's why all this nonsense is going on with Trump. They want to either impeach him, uh, have Congress do nothing. So during the midterms, he'll lose Congress. I mean, it's all orchestrated. They are going against him. The problem is, is that there are people, millions of us, who are looking at this Congress rating, approval rating is down like 10%, one of the lowest all times. Gee, I wonder why. Because they're all a bunch of weasels. That's why we need term limits. But I digress. The deep state controls everything. Think about this. Before World War II, the CIA was OSS. There was no Langley. There was no billions of dollars spent on CIA operations every year. Didn't exist. Didn't exist. Homeland Security didn't exist. NSA did not exist. The Pentagon wasn't built wasn't there. All this happens after World War II. That is the deep state. Why? Because no matter who we vote in the office, the deep state remains. They are bastions of power. And nothing changes just because someone new sits in the White House. That's why nothing is getting done. There's a deep, dark agenda. The fact that Paul Bagley was basically threatened three times by a guy from one of the alphabet agencies and told exactly what was happening. Told the people that were on the watch list. Steve, you and I are on the watch list. As well as the Hagmans, by the way. Why? Because we're talking truth. Why? Because we always, always go back, always default back to the biblical prophetic narrative. Why? Because we love Jesus. And that doesn't wash with the globalist agenda. That doesn't wash. And that's why the pushback. One more thing and I'll end with, with, with a little bit of a rant, but when I was, when Obama was president, we were being audited for 2013, 14, and 15. 14 and 15, we knew it was done by the book. We switched accountants after 13 because we felt, uh-oh, because that's when we got audited. And we said, well, the, the accountant screwed up. That's another story. So we owe. I get that. But with 13, 14, and 15, they're saying we owed $150,000, which, of course, we didn't know. And then this, this lady from the IRS calls up and she goes, you know, Mr. Marzulli, I'm, I'm leaving on leave here in two weeks, and we, we really like to have this cleared up before I leave, as if I'm just going to hand them $150,000. Where's that going to come from? And, and I just said, well, yeah, I can appreciate that, but, you know, uh, I've got a lawyer working on it. My, my new accountant is working on it. He's got power of attorney. We have to go through the process. What was interesting is... Right after Obama left office and Trump was inaugurated, it all went away, except for 2013, which we knew we, we, we owed. It all went away. 14 and 15 went away. Was I targeted? I can't prove that. I can't prove that. I don't have the means 
to prove it. I, I, you know, I'm not rich enough to hire a team of attorneys to go in and find out, oh, target Marzulli. Why? Because almost weekly, I would write an anti-Obama, I call him Obama, worst president ever blog. And they were silencing conservative voices. There's no doubt about it. I remember Bill O'Reilly when he was still on. And by the way, you don't think that's a coup? Of course it's a coup. They got rid of O'Reilly because O'Reilly was the strongest conservative voice we had on television. Basically one of the one of the few, other than Sean Hannity and a few others. And I remember there was a Democratic strategist on with O'Reilly. And, and he pinned her to the mat in about two seconds. He said, name me one, name me one conservative anchor on any major news network. And she's, you could see the wheels turning as she's dead silent, and he lets dead air go by, which, of course, you never do on radio or TV, for about 10 seconds, and, and she has no answer. And then, he, you know, he replies and says, there you go. You can't name one. You can't name one conservative anchor on any of the major networks because they don't exist. It's a managed agenda. And this is why, this is why you can't fix it anymore because the Luciferians... I've got control of the of the wheel. However, the good news is when the king returns on the white horse, that's the game changer. That's our blessed hope. That's what we're all looking for. Amen. And if I could just add one thing to that, uh, I know it's uh, I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, but this past week uh, we have been covering uh, Steve and and uh, LA. We've been covering Sean Hannity is in the crosshairs of the globalists, and let me tell you yeah. that. Uh, the back story that, uh, that that I can tell I I can't tell but the back story I know is um, frightening to say the least. So uh, we all need to pray for for Mr. Hannity and uh, because he is the really the the last speed bump uh, to hold Fox News right. uh, as as a conservative entity. Go ahead. Steve, you want to take it? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, are you, are you going to go ahead, like, you know, no, LA, no. Or? Go for it. Okay, well, here's the deal. The agenda is simply this. The war is now on Christians. The Christians in America kept their mouths shut when all of our brethren were being slaughtered. There, there were there were few, and one of the guys I do, uh, you know, admire and uh, thank God for was Franklin Graham. He's saying to the body, those who profess to be Christians, claimants, you guys, do you see what's going on over here? So we get a man that comes into the White House, President Donald Trump. He's got men of, of God praying for him. And, you know, I hear stuff, Doug, behind the scenes that I can't talk about. But I'll tell you one thing. The president knows, and I, I don't think you get in trouble for saying this. The president knows that the only one keeping him alive is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as long as he walks in obedience to God, he's safe. Now, you won't hear that from the pundits. You know, I, I honestly think sometimes that if there were an okay corral, there'd be more of uh, uh, claimants, uh, you know, uh, uh, out in the field or out behind the corral or whatever than there would be bad guys because everybody's willing to, to settle on everything. And here's the thing. People will argue over everything, but they won't deal with the obvious. And I hear I made this statement. I stand by it. If you won't start fighting for the heads of your brethren, literally those who uh, have stood valiantly as their heads were cut off with the last words on their lips being Jesus as the camera zoomed in on those gruesome, barbarous, uh, 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 you know, uh, maggots from hell, the thing is, is that 
your head's going to be on the line. That's not a threat, but the indifference, the casual uh, Bravo Sierra whale vomit, uh, stomach tripe of the answers that people give. And I mean, I talk about that stuff in ALA. I was down in Jackson Hole and I told the story on the radio and I'll tell it again. I had a smug Christian tell me that, you know, well, we're all called to be martyrs. Well, he's drinking his fancy wine. And by the way, I kick myself for not, in, you know, christening his head with the thing. And I'm, I don't, I'm not a violent person, okay? I don't, I don't do that. But he made me so furious. The, the attitude, and by the way, we're no longer friends over that, and anybody who is smug about people being beheaded, children being uh, raped to death, children being chopped up and eaten, uh, mothers being forced to eat their own children, and have you noticed now, Doug, the drug cartels are turning to cannibalism? Yeah. Uh, yep, yep. Yep, so beheading first, deal. cannibalism, yeah. And, 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 yeah, the, and, uh, and I said that 25 years ago on talk radio. It's not that I was right. It's that God gave a warning two, two and a half decades ago. And if you don't care that somebody else is being eaten, who because of their belief in Jesus, you know, and, and I would even put up all the scriptures one day on cannibalism. I have never in my life been more furious, and obviously I'm working out my own salvation with fear and trembling with a lot of help of intercessors. Thank you all for praying for for me, but I have never been more incensed, more heartbroken, more furious, more pounding my desk, more saying, God, where are the people that will stand up? You know, I want to put someone into, uh, you know, remembrance on your show. Years ago, remember when uh, uh, we raised money, meaning the Hagman listeners, and for Jeremiah and uh, Jamie and Amanda, they all went over, you know, to Iraq, you know, I'm sorry, Afghanistan. And the thing is, is that they made a difference. Three nurses, I think they're all named Katie, you know, two Marines, God bless you guys, and, uh, you know, a, a, a wonderful woman, the wife of one of the Marines, and they had, they, they said enough is enough. Five people were responsible for stopping with the prayer backup. We did at Whitestone. You were there, Doug. You remember. But the thing is, yep. for stopping the slaughter of 45,000 men and women, well, there were Christians. No, but how many of those have converted in the meantime? And, you know, we're to resist evil, the book of Hebrews says the shedding of blood. That doesn't mean we go out and shed others' blood, but it does mean this. It means you stand against wickedness, you fight with all your might, you call on the power of God to give you the victory. As I've said on your show before, there is no victory apart from God that I can find in the Old Testament or the New, where if God didn't step in, they wouldn't have had the victory. America thinks they're going to go out and kick ass in Russia. They have no clue. And all these lying devils, and I went on Alex Jones about, I don't know, three weeks ago, and I addressed the president on InfoWars, I said, Mr. President, call back all the fire generals, because those were the guys that stood against the evil you're now having to deal with. And I can tell you this, I stand by my statement. And who am I? Someone that has been sounding your arm for 25 years. Those closest to you 
do you? And I would say this, that if you have a national security advisor or anybody on your team that is an absolute uh, convert to Islam or an apologist, you better look close at your own team, sir, because those closest to you are planning to do you. Now, the grace of God and the intercession of God's people, I believe, are making all the difference in eternity. And that's what it's talking about. So, L.A., when you're talking about what you're talking about, when we're trying to bring the biblical truth that the historic twisting and perversion of, of history, you see, the reason they hate the giants, let me make it clear, they can't control the people. They don't want the people to know the presence of that kind of evil. They want to take the battlefield down to an intellectual, or they want to uh, uh, state that everything that's in the Old Testament is a metaphor, that the devil doesn't exist. It's just a metaphor for evil. Well, where the hell do you think the word evil came from? Where in the heck do you think the whole idea came from? Why is there evil then? And to some people... Some people don't care. Evil to you and I is not evil to them. And so this is why I say, rise up, people of God, believers of God. Rise up, intercessors of God. Thank God for the women of God, the prayer warriors, the, the women are crying and, and saying, when will the men rise up? And, you know, the problem is, in one of the books, I think in Minor Prophets, it states that all the men in the midst of the are women. Well, you hit them with female hormones for three decades. I don't think their offspring are going to come out as, you know, WWF fighters. So the thing is, is that we're, we're in a battle. But we're in a battle for literally the seed of mankind. And by identifying the whole genetic interruption by fallen angels, hey, one third of them fell. Somebody says, well, how much do you, how many angels do you think fell? I said, enough to cause the entire destruction of the human race, except eight people and Noah and his family who were perfect in their generations. Doesn't mean they were morally perfect. But here's the deal. We're at a point now that people have got to have an understanding of, I would say, the law first mentioned. When it appears in the Old Testament, you can follow it all the way through to the Old, sorry, the Old Testament, you can follow it all the way through to the New Testament, or the New Testament, you can look backwards into the Old Testament, but God does not oppose himself. So Steve, again, Steve, people, hey, people hey, yes. Hey, yeah, we're at the top of the hour three-minute break. Hold that Hold that sentiment. I do believe it's important, uh, but you had mentioned about uh, those closest to you will do you. Et tu, Brute. And, and that's where we're at, of course, the last line at the moment of the assassination of Julius Caesar, including Marcus Brutus. Yeah, et tu, Brute. Folks, Steve Quayle, stevequayle.com, L.A. Marzulli, LAMarzulli.net. Gonna be right back. Give us three minutes. More on the other side. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. And as the darkness falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the Creator to His creation. 
Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high net worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. to our third and final hour on this edition of the Hagman Report. We have two excellent guests, Steve Quayle and L.A. Marzulli, and we've been covering a number of uh, very important topics and interesting topics from the conference coming up in Branson. Folks, you can go to Gen6, Gen6.com or Gen6Productions.com. Gen6Conferences.com, all right. Um, just before the break, Steve, you were... In the middle of a thought, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you pick up right where you left off. And maybe Steve's not back yet. Well, I'm let's sorry, I'm back. Okay, there we go. Yeah, Steve, you were uh, right in the middle of a thought right before we took the break. Well, um, I'm sorry. I just went to uh, uh, wash my face with cold water because I think I got steamed and I, I forgot where we were at. I'm obviously not going by my notes, but let me change oh, yeah. that, and I, I, I just forgot. Uh, L.A., at this point, when you're at Branson, and don't give away anything, when I say this, I want 
where is the Lord leading you now as far as integrating everything you've investigated, everything you've studied, everything you've written? Kind of where is your direction leading you? I think you just got back from overseas, did you not? Yeah, I was I was in Portugal. Uh, my wife and I traveled to Portugal, and uh, we filmed there for two weeks. And we um, uh, it's a new film. It's called Fatima, uh, Miracle of the Sun or a Harbinger of Deception. And uh, I just put up the actual trailer today. We did the teaser a couple of weeks ago, but the trailer is up today. It's on my YouTube channel, La Marzulli. Go check it out. Um, and the reason why I'm doing this, and already the backlash is just incredible. Um, people are saying it's a hit piece against, you know, Mary the Bible and Catholics, and, and no one's seen the film. So we actually did a caveat in the beginning of the film, um, you know, basically saying that millions of people go to Fatima every year. Millions of Muslims circle the Kaaba stone in Mecca every year. Millions of Hindus celebrate Guru Puja. Millions of Buddhists. Uh, go to thousands of temples all over Asia. People can believe whatever they want to believe, and we're not here to disparage anyone's belief system. But we are going to look at this one event called the Miracle of the Sun. 70,000 people in 1917. It's a 100-year anniversary. That's why I made the film. And in 1917, upwards of 70,000 people were gathered in a field in Fatima, Portugal. They experienced something. Something happened. It wasn't the sun. The sun did not leave its orbit. The sun did not come crashing to earth. That's not what happened. There was something else. And it's been, without spilling all the beans of the film, what we've discovered is, as with a lot of this, the powers that be manage the agenda. They obfuscate the facts. They keep the facts from the people. Over and over and over again, we hear the same verbiage. Dull silver disc came from out of the clouds. Dull silver disc. And remember, in 1917, there is no verbiage. There's nothing in the lexicon that says UFO flying saucer. And I spoke with neuroscientists, research uh, people, professors, doctors, uh, philosophers, historians, all across the board, we spent, I mean, two exhausting weeks. It was not a vacation in any sense of the word. And what this does is it, is it, it just tag teams. It just, it just links up to everything else that I've been doing for the last, you know, for decades. It's all connected. It all points back to what I call the coming great deception. And, and, and Steve, Steve knows exactly what we're talking about. Something is coming, which the, Jesus warns about it, that there'll be, uh, even the elect would be deceived. Men faint from fear for what is coming upon the earth. What, what the heck is that? And it's upon the earth. It's coming from somewhere else, in my opinion. Signs in the heavens, signs in the earth, and that's what we're seeing. And so Fatima, to me, was a harbinger of deception. Why? Because the 70,000 people in that field, many of them, their paradigm was changed completely in, in a, in a four, 10 to 14 minute experience. And I, I find that astonishing. So that's why we made the film, or making the film. It'll be out in September. Well, the nature of deception is increasing daily. And, Doug, did you see the article about Google going to use, in essence, a, a bunch of uh, uh, people that already have a bias against God to determine what they will allow, even on their search engines, etc.? And once you're on the list, you know, you get, the, what is it, three strikes and you're out? Are you aware of that story? Yeah, there's a story... Um coming out of YouTube, well, Google slash YouTube, 
about how they have teamed up with the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, who are uh, just label any and everything that is not, you know, in their politically correct leftist mindset as, uh, you know, racist hate speech. And they're going to start creating special categories for YouTube videos to shield the majority of the public from the extremist content of both Christianity and <laughs> yeah, the there's three different right. groups. Three different groups involved in that, Joe. And, and the bottom line is, uh, you're labeled an extremist if you speak about uh, Jesus or if you criticize or if you talk about Islam in, in any critical manner. Well, again, I think it, it's becoming more and more obvious that when God sets the sheep and the goats, he's the one that determines, but the policies that are being put into place, if, if you're seeing already the hatred, especially in Canada, Canada now and its prime minister are incredibly becoming more, and by the way, I'm not bashing Canadians because I have tons of listeners, that there's no bashing in the statement, but the problem, you know, people say they don't care what he is as long as he's cute. Well, I mean, man, Doug, that makes my head feel like a pumpkin you know, under a D10 cat, I go, you don't care what he says unless he's cute? What, if the Antichrist shows up at Knickers and pulls the uh, chain on the guillotine blade, it's good because he was cute in those Knickers? We have the most devoid of reality population base ever. People won't even do the basic homework to look at MK Ultra and some of the mind control experiments. And yet now we've got neural implants, we've got John McInsane coming out of his brain issue and voting against Trump. We've got all the fake Republicans that basically, you know, I, I, I can't even, I don't have a word yet for the contempt I have for those guys. You've got, you, how, how do you even begin, okay? If you're in a boat and you're the captain and you think everybody's rowing with you but they're down in the hull of the ship drilling holes in the, uh, you know, hull of the keel, you're going to sink. You can, you can give the best orders. You can even point your sails in the wind, but they're trying to sink him. So we must pray as Christians. Let me say this. You know, I'm sorry, but the people that are out, uh, you know, and look, does that mean we morally give Trump a pass? Absolutely not. But I believe in something. I believe the simple statement that Jesus catches his fish before he cleans them. God doesn't gut sinners. He basically brings them to the conviction where they want to change, and then the spirit of the living God is free to move in their lives to bring about the necessary change. And, and you know, the thing is, is I'll tell you this, you know who's going to be, and you, L.A., you know this too, and please, we've talked about this, the people who are going to fight the truth the hardest are the ones who are going to embrace the falsehood the fastest, and I'm talking about claimants to Christianity. Go ahead, L.A. Well, you know, again, Steve and, and, and Doug and Joe, it's just, uh, um, we talk about this stuff, and I know a lot of people will, um, you know, they'll, they'll call it fear-mongering, they'll say, you, know, you guys are always so negative, but it's like, it's all reality, and if we were, we, we were going to this one particular fellowship locally, and I won't mention any names, I really like the pastor, he's a great guy, never a word about anything political, never a word about anything prophetic, never a word about anything about Israel, nothing, we were there for a year, and I turned to my wife and I said, I can't sit here anymore. I mean, I, I like I like the pastor. He's a really nice guy. But it's completely irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. And and the problem is, there's, there's so many of the churches that literally have this lukewarm 
um, idea of, of Christianity. They want to play everything safe. Everything has to be safe. We don't. We don't. We want a soft landing place for our people. We don't want to scare the sheep. Nonsense. You want to warn the sheep. And, and hats off to you, Doug and Joe, for your show because you're warning the sheep constantly. And the the people, like I know, Steve, we both get lots and lots and lots of emails. I get emails every single day, all week long, from people who have either come across the line for the first time and given their lives to Jesus because they realize he's the truth, the way, and the life, or they've come back to him because they left the church because they, they were, and this is true, they were watching Ancient Aliens and they became an Ancient Alien devotee. They took on that paradigm, that worldview, they embraced that, and they walked with it. And then they got a hold of my stuff, or your stuff, Steve, and and, pe and other people, Tom Horn's stuff, and it, it changed them. And by the way, our, those three names are used over and over and over again. Dear L.A., I watch your stuff, Tom Horn, Steve Quell, and we hear that over and over again. And, and what it does is, is it, it brings people back to not this lukewarm deal with Jesus, but they're on fire. And they look around and they realize, oh my gosh, prophecy's happening right under our noses. Why aren't more churches talking about it? And some churches are waking up, and that's fantastic. But it's just like, the reason why Branson is sold out, and there's 3,000 people there, and live streaming is probably going to go through the roof, let's hope so, is because people are hungry. They're not hearing about it at their church. So when you assemble the kind of folks that, that Steve's got on the roster, people are going to walk away from that conference armed, armed to the teeth, and they're going to know the truth, and the truth will make them free. Amen. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, too, the anti-pope, let's call him that, calls Jesus in the Bible a lie. You know, he, Jesus, he, Pope called him a Jesus a sinner, you know? And what's in, incredible is, is that Jesus said, the thief comes and has nothing in me. If Jesus wasn't sinless, he wouldn't have been God's ideal sacrifice. So the point is, is that he took upon himself the sin of the world, but he had no internal sin. So, you know... After doing this, and when I say writing, talking, 25 years, uh, you know, and thank you all who have sent me birthday greetings. Thank you so much, and and uh, you know, belated birthday uh, greetings and stuff. The point is, is that I'm on one crusade. You know, I mean, let's call it this: the last crusade. I don't believe it's my time to go, so I want to make that clear. But what I do believe is this: at this point in my life, you know, I'm saying, Lord. Bring people to my path, and this is the same thing, L.A., I know you're claiming, and we're all claiming this, that have ears to hear. We're not telling you to take anything we say because we say it. Look, we are telling you to look at everything in the light of Scripture. And if some guy wants to come on, by the way, I challenge that person to an on-air debate. I know that debating is, is foolish, but I want to hear what he says about 1594, 1574 manuscripts from the Chroniclers of the Conquistadors. I want to know what he says about Og, King of Bashan. He said, well, the guy was a small guy who lived in a big bed. Yet Eusebius, the church father, the one that, uh, you know, some of these guys sealed their faith with uh, their martyrdom, said that, you know, he made King Og basically 
the thing, the the identical person that the Romans worshipped as Saturn, and says that he's in stasis in the British Isles. And you can't understand the whole history of giants unless you go to the British Isles. L.A. was talking about the identical, or forgive me, the the geospatial coordinates and the archaeoastronomical coordinates of how all this stuff lines up. I want to make it really clear to everybody, prior to the flood of Noah, there was a massive pyramid uh, uh, culture throughout the world. It was in the days of Peleg that God divided the continents. So there was a supercontinent. Some people call it Gondwanaland. That's a hard one to try and spell. The others call it Pangea. It's, it, that's easier. But the point is, is God does something. He separates, even at that time, before, and I don't know why God chose to separate the continents at that time, but I will tell you this, if at the end of God's patience, before he judged it, the fallen angels knew it was coming, by the way. You can't read the book of Enoch or the book of Giants, not to know that. And for a free version, go on my website, genesis6giants.com, and click on the nav bar where it says ancient text. It's there free to look at. So the point is, is that they knew. You know, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is at hand. Let me make something clear. The day of the Lord comes at the end of the tribulation. We're going to go through, and I'm saying this, I, I speak for myself, but we're going to go through plenty of hell. And it's amazing. Do you think those guys that were beheaded for the testimony of Jesus or all the Syrian Christians who, who died, were slaughtered, bombed, blown up, disemboweled? You know, and people say, I don't want to listen to your show. You just talk about gory stuff. Well, I got news for you. It obviously isn't registering because you still live in the world of Pollyanna on, uh, there we go. I got a new one for everybody. Pollyanna's on Prozac. They can't deal with reality, but they sure want their bloody Prozac to take those, oh, oh, in, in, in incremental bits of reality. Oh, no. Oh, no. Reality's heading in. Give me another Prozac dipped binky, okay? So, you know, I can't sell them, but I'm sure somebody could uh, start selling Prozac dipped binkies. They'd come into breaking the law, but hey, you know, it seems like that's where we're at. So, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be cynical, and I am, but here's the thing. It seems like no matter what L.A. does, no matter what Timothy Alberino does, and by the way, he's got real enemies that really don't like him. You don't go where he's gone in Rome and think you just, you know, get away free. God has intervened. Two days before they attempted to kill him and his family, his wife was awakened in the middle of the night, and the Lord said, Jasmine, get down and pray. And the point is, is that I can tell you this, that God warns his people before it comes. But I've asked the Lord, I don't know if you have, L.A., I said, Lord, what comes next? What revelations do you want? And and I guarantee you that we as Christians have surrendered the narrative that there is one way to heaven, that's through Jesus Christ. Well, that's divisive. Absolutely. Solomon was ready to obviously use the child sacrifice to test the true love of the real mother. The real mother was willing to give up the baby rather than see it slaughtered. The non-real mother would rather see the baby slaughtered. Half of a live child in her mind was to make her point right. Solomon was wise enough to see through it. I ask myself this, Doug, and seriously, I'm asking everyone to think about this. 
If you look at the days of Babylon before they were conquered, the literal finger of God wrote on the wall when the king was having a great feast and all of his debauched madness, you know, uh, your, your kingdom is divided, and it's going to be taken from you this very night. And so I think what's critical is this. What I believe, I, and I say this to the Lord, okay? I say, Lord, will you please write it out, spell it out, make it so clear and you know what after i pray that i say what else could he do you know what else could he do voices from heaven the people of god the ones that saw his mighty works they said moses go talk to god we don't want to hear from him directly you know henry gruber tells a story of people praying uh that oh send down the glory lord send down the glory religious sounding and god said tell him to stop singing that if I send down my glory now, half of them will die. Think that maybe put the fear of the Lord in a few people that sing songs not even thinking what they sing? So here's the thing. We are on a quest to make known the hidden mysteries of, of, of uh, history, the, the manifold cover-up, and in the mouth of 10,000 witnesses, if you want to deny it, if you want to think that, gee, the tallest guy in the world was somebody an ALA, wait until they find out about the little people that are people are seeing all over the world, from That's the right. islands of Hawaii, the Menahuni, to all over uh, uh, the Naripan in Thailand, and all of, uh, every single, the British we people, Iceland we people, Russian folklore we people, uh, New Zealand, Australian we people, they're not all called we people. People. They got names I can't pronounce because they're in, uh, you know, uh, Maori language or Maori language. But the point being is you cannot get away from it. The supernatural now is being thrust into, quote, the world of the denialists. And the denialists will either come to grips with it, come to Jesus, uh, you know, overcome it by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, loving not their life unto death, or they're going to succumb to it. And my concern is this. Jesus himself said, if he's told us earthly things and we believe him not, how can he tell us heavenly things? And my, my answer, Lord, is, Lord, it seems like nobody believes you on anything you say. Now, there are people that do, and a lot of them listen, but I would say the majority of Christendom, and based on, you saw that, Joe, and Doug, the, the what was it, the Gallup poll, or it was one of the polls, uh, maybe George Bonner poll, but, you know, I mean, 50, 60% of the Christians don't even believe there's a literal devil. That's just a metaphor for evil. Well, then how did evil originate? One paramecium got a bad attitude towards an amoeba and decided to maybe zap him with some more primordial goo? I mean, come on, you know? It's ridiculous. That was pretty... That, <laughs> that was a showstopper there. <laughs> <laughs> L.A., your comments? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's it, where where do we go after that, Steve? I mean, you just wrap the thing up, put a little bow on it, and off we go. Um, I, I'll just say this, that, that the sin code is rampant. The sin code is in every single, uh, not only every single individual, but the animal kingdom as well. This whole place is under the sway of the sin code. And when we become born again and spirit-filled, that changes everything. That begins to change us. It begins to move us away from the sin code. Are we perfect? Of course not. But we no longer do the things that we used to do. 
Um, and, and, and some of those things, maybe they take two days to get healed from. Others, two years. Others, 20 years. It depends. And I'm not saying, you know, you gotta, you gotta be under something for 20 years, but, you know, in some cases, it, it takes a long time to change a person. Look, Moses went out in the desert and tended sheep for 40 years before he came into his ministry. Paul, 14 years, uh, where, you know, before he goes up to, after he goes up to Jerusalem, 14 years. If you go through the whole, the biblical narrative, Everyone spends time, what I call, come to call it, everyone spends time on the anvil in, in God's forge. And what happens on that anvil? He heats you up in that forge and puts you on that anvil and takes the hammer and begins to pound us into a different shape. And that takes time. But that is the process. I no longer am the man that I was 37 years ago when I came across the line and accepted Jesus into my heart. So what we're seeing is this this pulling. We live in this tension. And and part of that tension is there are people around us who because they will not embrace the sun, and, and there's a reason for this, because of their free will. And they don't want to give up what they think is the reins to their life. They don't want to give up their sin nature or have their sin nature changed. So there's this tension all around the believer. And that tension is we are Pounded on a daily basis with soft porn. It's ever the mall soft pornography. Language. The fact that the scar she got. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're breaking you're up cutting really out bad. a little bit there. Yeah, and your your audio is getting scattered. Yeah, your audio is scattered for me. You guys are. Steve was great, but your your audio place. This is amazing. Now it's fine. Yeah, yeah, let me, let me take it away for a minute just until maybe the the audio can stabilize because I couldn't hear, uh, you know, uh, anything. So I don't know if it's a Skype interruption or what, you know. But most people don't understand something. And since LA, you were at Fatima and the visit of Fatima, that was Mohammed's daughter's name too. And years ago, I said that, uh, and I did Doug, this is a matter of record, those people who listen to me on KHNC, I said the day will come when Islam will uh, merge with Catholicism, not traditional Catholicism, but an offshoot. How is it that every time the Pope kisses the uh, Quran, but he mocks the Bible, puts down Jesus, absolutely, you know, is a, um, a man who seems to have more affinity, wanting a one-world government, a one-world religion, of course, he'd be the head of it, or he'd share his reigns with it, I think it's going to be easier than most people imagine for for the merging of Catholicism and Islam to take place. Now, again, I'm not talking about traditional Catholicism. I'm talking about, I don't know, even if, if somebody's a Catholic wants to send me a, uh, an email to tell me what it is that you guys are calling it. Because, look, I have friends, some of my best friends in the world are Catholics. I want to make clear, okay? I'm not bashing anybody's faith. I don't agree with some of the tenets of their faith. But I know there are people that are Catholics that really love God. That's between them 
thank God. But I will tell you this, when someone comes on the scene, fulfills all of the qualifications of the false prophet, when that guy, and I'm sorry, that you know, when that guy in the white suit starts to knock Jesus, my fur goes up, okay? When that guy in the white robe starts saying the Bible is basically not to be taken personally, when he says that the most dangerous people are those claiming a personal relationship with Jesus, you understand what he's saying? Individuality doesn't count anymore. You must be assimilated by the vomitous Borg from hell. Now, obviously, I'm adding the vomitous Borg from hell. The other statements are truly his. You can go on any search engine and type in. So, because Christians have been wishy-washy, because we've been spineless, I'm talking, uh, you know, I mean, everybody's got a, and, and me too, look, I've got a major internet presence, and, uh, you know, I thank God for that, but, you know, the deal is, it's when we're calling people to prayer that God moves on our behalf, this stuff gets done. You know, obviously, my rants haven't changed a thing uh, at this point, you know, but what it does change is me recognizing that I can't do this stuff. The, it, the anger of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. I know that. But there's also a holy indignation. And Doug, when Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me, I can see now what he meant by that. Why? Why, oh God? Why? Why, oh God? And, and, and somebody says, well, yours is not to question why. No. My why is the cry of my heart. But it's not why God, are you allowing us, why God do your people stand for it. I want, I want that. There's a good statement. Because that's, everybody that's right. blames all bad stuff on God, okay? So, but it's why God. And, and when he says, because my people stand for it, there's more scripture uh, basically uh, undergirding that statement than most people would believe. God, Jesus said that, that if the salt loses savor, it's good for nothing, but he trodden under the foot of men. It, it basically, in the uh, New Testament time, that's what they did to salt that was no longer salty. They used it as road mix. You know what road mix produces? Road kill. And I'm just saying this, that there's too many people that, uh, you know, can sing that uh, in the sweet by and by, but they better get it on the here, here, and now, or they better kiss the sweet by and by goodbye with other parts of their anatomy. <laughs> here we go again, another showstopper. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. L.A., go ahead and pump in. Let's see how your audio is. Yeah, I hope I hope the audio is working. I, I, I don't yes. know why it's cutting out like that, but... Uh, you know, I was just talking about the sin code and how uh, being spirit-filled and born again changes a man or a woman and begins to to mold us and shape us by being in God's forge, uh, heated up in that fire, pounded on that anvil into a different shape, the shape that he wants us to be. But the tension that we find ourselves in is very j just like Lot. It, it, it's, you know, it, it, the days of Noah. You know, it's just like Lot. Now, Lot's way after Noah. Okay, I get that. But in that same passage, he refers to Lot. Lot was a vexed guy. I mean, he's in a place where um, he's living with some real crazy stuff going on. Cannibalism, pedophilia, all sorts of crazy stuff. Ritualistic sex magic. And that's exactly what's happening today. So the tension that Christians feel, they ought to feel, is that we are literally strangers in a strange world. We're walking through this thing. Typical Thursday in America. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's what's happening today. You're right. 
Am I am I cutting out or am I good? No, you're good. I, I just oh. wanted. I just I was just uh, you know agreeing with you. It's a typical Thursday in America, which you just described. It's happening today, you know, from Marina Abramovic exactly. to you know exactly. You know. And, and the tension that the believer finds him or herself in is the fact that we're inundated, we're surrounded by filth, by by depravity. We're you know we're surrounded by stuff that 50 years ago, if mentioning it would have just people would have been aghast. Now let's I just pick on one one little deal. You know, transgenderism is like the latest thing. It's like, you know, we all should be proud of, like, Chelsea Manning and, and, and Bruce Jenner. I mean, th this is what's held up. The last six months of Obama's uh, ad administration, what does he focus on? Transgender bathrooms. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you flipping kidding me? This is what he focuses on? I mean, it's beyond the pale. It's absolutely beyond the pale. Then, we, of course, we've got a Congress, which is absolutely nothing. And it's been, like, what, eight months? Nothing. Zippo, and now they're going to have yet another break. Meanwhile, and I'll just I'll just bag on the taxes thing for just a second. Americans pay some of the highest taxes in the world. So everything I look around, I look at the pornography, I look at the 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 the, the, um, the, the pedophilia rings, which apparently are rampant. Which apparently, you know, you look at Jimmy Seville over in England. I mean, that that's a really weird deal. And I, I want to chime in on something here. When we were in Fatima. When we were in Portugal, true story, okay, I was hit with spiritual warfare that was incredibly visceral. And what I mean by that is gut-wrenching. I mean physical. It was visceral. It was physical. And I, we landed in Lisbon, and it was great. We did a couple of interviews in Lisbon. We drove around. It was a fantastic time. Had some great interviews there. Then we drove into Fatima. And I was okay. When I when I got to the sanctuary, um, Again, that sanctuary can hold one million people at a time to give you an idea of the enormity of the place, what it's become. And it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't want to use the word spooky, but it's spooky. Anyway, so I'm there and that night is when it started. The spiritual warfare started and it went on for about two to three days. What was interesting, when I would do an interview with someone, I was fine. The moment the interview stopped, Bam! I would be hit again. And I'm sitting there, you know, with all the spiritual warfare stuff I know, and I'm not getting relief. And after like three days of this, it's two in the morning. And what I mean by this is I'm getting hit with every type of perverted thought you can possibly think of. And it's not, I'm not generating it, okay? It's, I'm not, it's not coming from me. These are the fiery darts that we're told about in Ephesians. And I've got my shield up, and i got my sword out, and I'm taking every thought accountable. Okay? I get all that. Problem is, I'm under attack. And and I go, Lord, I can't do this any longer. i got to get out of here. And I feel the Holy Spirit tell me, trust the process. So I did. The next day, it lifted. And I'm there with a historian who's also a philosopher. And by this time, I'm starting to put two and two together. And I asked the guy, my first question to him, what was here in the pre-Christian era? You know what he told me? It was a matriarchal society where they embraced the sacred feminine, where they worshipped feminine gods. And the priests, the male priests, 
who served at these temples were castrated. That's the first thing. The second thing, there were ritual prostitution going on at these temples. There are hundreds of apparition sites from these entities all over Portugal. In other words, the area is completely steeped in the occult. The area is steeped in, the, in a principality which has reigned over that territory for millennia. It's never been deposed. It just changes shape. Metaskitsmatasai is the Greek word that Russ Dizdar taught me. Metaskitsmatasai. It changes shape because there are no female angels. And when you look at the temple, there's a temple of Diana, which comes in later in the Roman era, much, much later after the initial um, worship that's going on of these ancient gods, well, well in advance before the Christian era. The Romans come in, and they're building these temples to Diana, the same Diana that we read about, Diana of Ephesus, right, in, in, in Paul's epistles, same thing. And when you look at this, what you'll see, uh, Diana has breasts in many of the pictures, but underneath those breasts, you'll see that there are, you know, sometimes um, two more sets or three more sets or four more sets. But Gary Stearman told me that in, the, in some of the earlier statues, when you actually look at them, that below the breasts, there were three sets of testicles. So what we've got here is a chimeric, transgendered, hermaphroditic entity. And there's a new, the new expression I've coined. It's an interdimensional transgender. Why? Because the fallen ones are totally obsessed with having sex. But not just normal sex. They want it with the animals. Book of Enoch talks about this. They sin against the animal kingdom. This is, this is what's going on. It happened in antiquity. What do you think's going on today? It's the same nonsense. People are abducted, and they're not just, it's not just, you know, normal sex. Oh, no. I mean, it's all sorts of nonsense that happens on, on these ships. Um, Graham Hancock wrote a book called Supernatural. He's down in Brazil, South America, Peru. He's taking ayahuasca. Wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Why? It's pharmacia. It's a springboard into the lower astral. And he gets up there. He does like, it's like 40 times he does it. And he gets up there. And he looks around, and he goes, to his amazement, to his astonishment, there are these greys, the grey aliens that then now are enculturated. You go back 25 years ago, if I say grey, no one knows what I'm talking about. Today, everybody does. Everyone's been enculturated, okay? That's, that's conditioning. So he's doing this, and at the end of the book, it's like, I don't know, four or 500 pages. At the end of the book, this is what he comes up with. Whatever or whoever these entities are, talking about the greys, they are obsessed with mating with us and creating a hybrid of sorts. That screams the Genesis 6 narrative. It screams Genesis 6. It's right there. It goes back to Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the serpent will be at war, at enmity with the seed of the woman. That sets up the rest of the biblical prophetic narrative. So, I mean, Graham Hancock is down there. He's not a Christian, but he knows. He sees what's going on. And nothing has changed. It's just gotten worse. And we are seeing every type of perversion that you can possibly imagine come to the forefront. Where you go back 50 years ago, I, I was bagging on the transgender thing. No one knew what transgenderism was. There wasn't even a word for that yet. Now it's part of a lexicon and it's mainstream. Need I say more? 
Well, I think I think I want to just pick up a little bit on this because Lilith, the night hag, that's what she's been known as. Obviously, yeah. she appears in the epic of Gilgamesh. And by the way, Gilgamesh was a real half man, half god. We'd call him, uh, you know, a Rephaim. Uh, the ancient demon of the Sumerians, and actually she was a demoness. But if you're noticing, L.A., and, and that's kind of what you're telling everyone, it's apparent. These things are almost, um, how do I say this? They're androgynous in the sense that they possess both uh, sexual um uh, plumbing, okay? Let's just use that. That way I don't get in trouble. And yet the thing is, is that the the legends, okay, it's kind of like that was the devil's attempt at producing Eve. Now, let me share something. As we're talking, not only is cannibalism coming on the scene, but also bestiality has broken loose in... Yep. Western Europe, especially Switzerland, Germany, that I weep, and I do weep for those poor animals. And look, I'm not an animal lover. I love animals, but I love human babies, and I love human babies more, and yet if people won't, if people don't care about them, yet some people care about their animals. I'm saying this. I'm saying that the poor animals are crying out to God, for it says all creation is in travail. I'm also the one that said animals' natures are going to change. That's based on the book of Revelation. We've got things now going on in the animal kingdom that have never gone on before. Never before have have uh, uh, orcas attacked uh, boats with the ferocity they're doing now. They're attacking people. The, the Pacific Ocean is a dead ocean. People, I remember I said that, and some of the stupid, uh, uh, what are they called, bulletin boards or whatever they are, So it's not a third of the ocean. The Pacific Ocean isn't the third. Well, listen, you take up into the Arctic Sea, and it definitely is. I mean, I even went and dug and calculated it, okay? And so the point is, is that, uh, you know, no matter what you say that's true, somebody's going to do it. But I want everybody to realize something, too, that one of the pictures that I can't, uh, the Bernie relief of Babylon has her with six toes. Have you seen that? And six fingers? No. I'll send it to you right now, Doug, if you want to put it up on your screen. I don't know if you can get it up that quick. But everybody, you can go to uh, Ancient Origins, ancient-origins.net, and uh, uh, and take a look at this. And I'm sorry, it's it's too long for me to read out the whole URL, but I'll send it to you right now, Doug, and you can just see it, and then you can post it. But look at what you see here. And what you're seeing, now remember, this is the country, the United States, that welcome. Okay, we welcome the Egyptian god Anubis, you know, and I don't say God with a capital G. I say we 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 welcome the the demon. We welcome the evil spirit Anubis. We've welcomed the ball or you know the um, arch of ball. We've welcomed all sorts of perversion stuff, but this whole thing transgenderism is nothing more than the ancient. Demons, demonesses that have been chained and locked up. I'm not talking about the ones that Peter talks about that are uh, reserved forever, reserved in everlasting chains of darkness. But what is so uh, disturbing, and I think this is the most important point, LA, that you could make tonight. Not that everything else isn't, but I mean, if you look to the uh, Lilith, guess who's on her right and left side? The same owl portrayal as the uh, Bohemian Grove. 
okay? Yeah. Now, Doug, let me know if you get this, because is, is there any way to put it up on the screen really quick, or I don't know how you guys work your stuff? Uh, not at the moment. However, we will okay. put this up uh, retroactively or, you know, after this Okay, is, yeah. This but look done. at it, okay? And if some of you are offended, uh, you know, by uh, 6,000-year-old bar relief, I had a Baptist minister come down on me because I put an Atlas statue on one of my, uh, you couldn't see anything. As a matter of fact, I had my guy, my webmaster, you know, block out his stuff. But the point is, is that if, if somebody wants to see something, what we're trying to talk about is we're trying to show people the sinisterly wicked, uh, uh, if you will, uh, resurgence or reemergence of all of these things that were destroyed by God, and now they're coming back, okay? They're coming back. It's the same thing like, uh, if you will, the um, Amazons and Edgar Rice Burroughs. There really was an island called Lesbos. Guess what word came from that? So here's the thing. I, I see the scripture in Isaiah. For seven women will take hold of a man in that day. Obviously, there's guys on TV that are already living that. To say, take away our reproach. Have you ever thought, L.A., Joe and Doug, what that reproach is? Because there, there are seven women. They, they want husbands. What is going to destroy the family? Obviously, everything we're talking about. And, and I don't mean to be crude here, but the whole basis of robots, of sex bots, uh, yeah. you know, of, uh, 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 you know, all of the variations of that is basically to keep uh, the human race from becoming, uh, you know, from being able to reproduce. Now, obviously, those with high birth rates are going to tune into uh, sex bots, but, you know, it's a, it's a lie that the West has bought. For instance, the bordellos, and I'm sorry to have to go here, but I need to. The bordellos in Europe now are having even the prostitutes complaining that men are preferring the robots over them. In that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, take away our approach. Now, it's not talking about prostitutes, uh, you know, uh, not doing their uh, uh, resident requirement of tricks to get their necessary money, but what it is talking about is we are at the time, and I said this, and, and lo and behold, it was on TV the other night, I said this years ago, I said, listen, watch how it goes, women will start dressing more and more seductively, and pretty soon, you know, they'll, they'll be to the point where clothes will be optional, but they'll try and get around the law by body painting, you know, and so now they're doing it in Times Square, well, what is this, you know, they are casting a aside all of their inhibitions, but the point is is that the angels, and here's the I guess my bottom line for tonight sex is what, and I want to define sex, I know what it means in Latin, I know what it means in Old French but what I'm saying is Satan's execution of the human race S-E-X, I don't know if you heard me say that L-A, but I was praying and that's what God dropped into my spirit so look at this, it's powerful enough to lure angels out of heaven, the watchers, okay it's powerful enough to lure aliens, I guess aliens are, it's really lonely out there on Alpha Centauri, I can't take it, let's go to Earth, you know I'm sorry, but, but that's what they would have you believe, and isn't it interesting, well, the aliens want to come and have you know, sex on Earth to obviously interrupt the plan of God, and the marriage covenant is the oldest covenant in the world, you know, and I got news for you. You're not going to say, do you take this robot to be your lawful wedded uh, sex bot? 
You know, you're not going to, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the complete annihilation of the human race where the Lord God of heaven sent his son and Jesus said, except the days be short and there be no flesh left alive. And and I'm on, I, I can't even go into the headlines of the day. Go on Drudge and read the left-hand column of what's going on in the city now for, uh, you know, women, uh, because evidently there are not enough men to relieve themselves. And I'll, let, I'll just say that this is, ladies and gentlemen, on the front of Drudge. Drudge is basically, obviously, reporting all the stories, but the, have you noticed they're getting kinkier, they're getting weirder, and they're becoming more repulsive? Well, why would you even wreck my beautiful mind with this? Because I'm praying, God, what can I do, what can I say to wake people up who, if they don't wake up, they're going to perish in their apathy, indifference, and denial? You know, A I D. Apathy, indifference, and denial. And so this is where we're at. And I, I, I sent you that picture, Doug. I'll put this up on my website, and I better put a you know, warning uh, sign. I feel like the lost in, in space robot sometimes because you know you can't even show woodcuts or you get accused. Nope, I won't put the article up, but I'll, I'll tell people here's the article. Because, again, this isn't to be sensuous. It's to give you the sense to know that the 91st Psalm was talking about this, the terror that comes by night. And I can't even go into the way Lilith, uh, I won't go into the way she killed the men, but she used her sexuality to do it. That's all I can say. That's the terror that comes by night. She was called the desert hag. She was called the night hag. And isn't it interesting that even uh, the Game of Thrones has a witch that lives by drinking men's blood and turns in? I don't watch that. I watched I watch a couple episodes, and I figured out, you know what? There is something so wrong with some of this stuff. I understand it's a great, great series, you know. They got some great battle scenes. But when you have witches that take on, in essence, the historic... Uh, uh, and I believe Lilith was the one that uh, whoever wrote it with George Martin or whatever, that's what he's probably patterning it after. Because if you don't know this, there is an amazing amount of uh, psycho sexuality that leads right back to the fallen angels. So that's why God ordained holy matrimony, because all there is now is, hey, listen, guys want to marry sheep. They want to, they do horrible things to sheep. You've got women wanting to do this. With, I mean, we are totally, listen, we are totally in the days of Noah, and the days yeah. of Noah, as extreme as they were, will not even compare to the things that we are going to deal with in the very near future, and are already seeing it outplaying before our Get that right, LA. You, we, we've got about uh, ten minutes left of this show, uh, guys. Just a reminder. So, uh, uh, LA, any uh, any comment after that? Well, I, I I concur. I mean, these are the days of Noah that that we're living in. They're like yeah. the days of Noah that that we're living in, and it's just you know, I, I I wish I could stay here. I mean, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called Days of Chaos. And, you know, when, when a book came out, oh, Marzilla, you know, you're such a naysayer. Oh, it's always, you know, where am I going wrong? I mean, I remember on, on some show, and I challenged the host. I said, okay, just pick any topic that you want that I cover in the book. Tell me where I'm going wrong. You know, are, are we seeing more earthquakes? Absolutely. Are earthquakes growing greater in intensity? Absolutely. What about the volcanic activity? What about the ring of fire? Is that is that abating? Is it getting better? No, it's not. Look look at the 6 o'clock news. I mean, look at Venezuela, for crying out loud. You know, the whole country is imploding. 
uh, all because of socialism. Look at the drug cartels in Mexico, where there are, they had their worst month in June record. More people are killed in Mexico because of the drug cartels than in Iraq, Afghanistan, and every place else, and in Syria, all combined. That's what's going on over there. That's what's going on on our southern border. And the reason for this is they throw the poison in. How many people that are listening now have not had someone in rehab? Have not had someone in rehab? These are the days of chaos. We are in the days of chaos. When you have a nutcase in North Korea that's playing around with intercontinental ballistic missiles and threatening to nuke somebody, that's chaotic. I mean, I, I can't... I can't, <laughs> what's more chaotic than that for crying out loud? When you've got $21 trillion in debt in our country, and somehow that's okay, and no one deals with it, and now they're going to raise the debt ceiling again, those wascally Republicans. I mean, our, it's just, it's beyond the pale. Days of chaos. The racial tension in the country, absolutely chaotic. Absolutely chaotic. California was in an eight-year eight drought. We broke it. It was interesting. Eight years of Obama, California major drought. Trump gets elected, go figure. We have record rains, record snowfalls, records, you know. You tell me, is that a coinkadink? Some people say, oh, well, you're spiritualizing everything. Really? But I just find the, uh, the timing of that absolutely incredible. So, look, it is endless war wherever you turn. And one of my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is they will beat their weapons into plowshares and men will not learn war anymore. You think about it. You, you, you look at what's, you know, look at ISIS, Daesh over in Syria and the Middle East. Look at Al-Qaeda. Look at the, um, the radical Islamic terrorists. And even if it's like 1%, it's, it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of these guys running around with the ideology uh, which is their core value, their worldview, that in order to bring Islam in, we got to kill everybody, kill as many as the infidels possible. You know, throwing acid in people's faces that you don't even know, you know, just to maim them. I mean, this is the world we're living in. It's, 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 it's crazy. On one hand, it's amazing. Think of the Internet. Think of what we're able to do. Because of the internet, how I, we can Skype right now from three different parts of the country and communicate. I mean, think about that. That's astounding. You go back 20 years ago, it's impossible. So on one hand, we've got all this technology, which is really cool. On the other, the sin nature of a sin code is on steroids, on overtime, and things are just getting worse. Days of chaos, anyone? You bet. Not only that, but well, Doug, one of the things I think that I'd like to make clear again, just in the closing minutes, is that I don't think, and I, I and this is just me, okay, uh, I don't think there will be another True Legends conference, the nature or the likes of this one, simply because, uh, and that's not bait, you know, come out with one. Uh, I have put off, and I want to make this clear, I know L.A. does a lot of them, and I know a lot of people do a lot of them, God bless them, that's not the issue, but this is the second one I've done in my life, and uh, um, I agreed to do one, and the Lord said, you can't do that. And I said, why? He said, because I want you to obey me, and I don't want you walking in anyone else's anointing or shadow. Now, that may sound self-serving until you understand something. My calling is to make known Jesus. My calling is not to argue with the people. 
that I argue with on on uh, emails, and I've got to just get away from that. And by the way, I'm just about 30 days away, and I'll announce it, you know, uh, for my clients and those who want to contact me on what I do. This is how I make pay my bills, selling precious metals or the books. I'll always be available for my clients, but I will be having a private email. God knows, and Lord, forgive me for being so stupid. I should have done it a lot sooner. But the point is, is that we're involved in so much right now, but I'm encouraging those of you to come to Branson and to hear what I believe will be the most life-changing, most uh uh, not when I say this, most educating thing, but also uh, Pastor Langford's been praying and fasting. I know Henry walks in an open heaven, that there will be a law of impartation there. Let me tell you what that simply means. Before God took Moses, he told him to bring Joshua and Caleb before him and to lay his hands on him, them, excuse me, Moses to lay his hands on them, and to take the spirit which God had placed upon Moses and place it upon Joshua and Caleb in the Bible. Wonderful wonderful story. But more than that now, when Jesus came and Jesus ascended and he said, I've got to go, but I'm going to send you the comforter. And that when he comes, he's going to not speak of himself. He's going to speak of me. And this is why, you know, people need to be considering this conference because outside of your show, and I said this once and some guy said, well, this guy prays for people on the air too. I wasn't saying we're the only ones. I'm just saying that we have taken it upon ourselves to pray just as you guys pray for us that, you know, that you will, excuse me, be blessed. So the True Legends live streaming is the only thing that's available right now. We can't invent any type of uh, extra seating. You can go to gen6conferences.com, and then I will tell you, if you want to know, if you want to hit the floor running, you need, and somebody says, you're just pitching your own wares. Yes, I am, because you've got to get a background on what we're talking about, the Holocaust of Giants. I mean, we're going to share stuff related to the Holocaust of Giants, I think people, are, their minds are going to be blown. Will everybody believe it? No. But my answer, L.A., since I first started on talk radio, take it to the Lord in prayer. So you can go on truelegendsoftheseries.com. You can order it. You can download it. Excuse me, not download it. You can stream it on Vimeo. Uh, you can buy the Blu-ray. You can do whatever you want. But I would encourage you, those of you who are going to go to Branson, if you do not have that DVD, please get it. So we will be referring to it, and you'll see how God is laying this whole thing out in such a, here's a good word, sequential. I'm learning to be sequential. The point is, is that we're going to present some information that is going to be mind-boggling. Anselm P. Rambla, and, and L.A. was there. He knows it. He basically, obviously, had an encounter with God in some way. We're all praying for him. Please pray for him. One of the most amazing men. Wouldn't you say that's true, L.A., that you've ever met? Yeah. Yeah, he's a really great guy. Really great guy. And and I'm talking brilliant. I'm talking about genuine and, and the things he suffered because of the truth he turned up is unimaginable. So I, I'm telling you guys, those of you that can't come to Branson, please, please live stream it. Because he said, and I, I think I've said this on your show, Doug, he's going to share things he's never shared in 40 years. And I, I know what he's talking about because LA and I saw his presentation as most of the people that went to the conference did. And I mean, it's pretty mind-boggling stuff. So, you know, the people can come. They're already, people say, you going to have another one? 
Well, probably there can be a True Legends conference, and it doesn't have to have me. See, it's not, I, I want to make this clear. It's about a shoehorn. If I had to name a ministry, I'd call it shoehorn, because it's helping people walk in the steps of the Lord Jesus Christ in that which he's ordained for you. Thank God there aren't two L.A. Marzulis. Thank God there aren't two Steve Quails. But you can be who God wants you to be. So we're trying to help you get into your feet uh, prepared with the preparation of the gospel. But there's way more to the good news. Jesus said, Lo, I come in the volume of the books. They are written of me to do thy will. You know, what books do you think those were? There's so much. And, and John said all the books that are in the world couldn't contain all the things that Jesus did. Well, in the Gospels, we got, you know, we got different uh, uh, perspectives on the different miracles, but we don't have all the miracles. So, ladies and gentlemen, please come. And, again, we want to make this clear. This is going to be a conference of impartation. This isn't just to sit around and, you know, sing Kumbaya. I guarantee you that song will never be played where I'm at. And that Pastor Langford and his wife and others will be providing the music. And I think if you've never heard Kim Langford sing and the anointing that follows, I'm telling you guys, you're going to see something that most people have never seen in their entire life. That's a supernatural move of God. So, Doug, God bless you. God bless Joe. L.A., thank you. And please, you know, uh, understand, we're alive and we, we can only function by the prayers and intercession of God's people. So I, for one, again, thank all of you from the time you ever first heard of me uh, who have ever prayed for me. And I pray that my prayers coming back at you will be multiplied a thousandfold for your benefit. Well, thank you, Steve. And uh, we, we've, we've got about uh, a minute left before the end of the program. L.A., I'll give you, L.A. will give you the last minute, sir. Well, I really appreciate it, Steve. That was just really well said, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing people in Branson and some of the other conferences that will be at this year. But, you know, Branson's got 3,000 people. It's sold out. It, it's it's going to be amazing. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it's an honor uh, to be there. It's an honor to be on this show, uh, to talk about the Lord, to talk about end times. Um, it's just, if you had told me 37 years ago when I gave my life to Jesus that I would be doing this, I, it's just mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. But that's the king that we serve. I think he's going to return soon. That's my blessed hope. I long to see the rider on the white horse. Amen. Gentlemen, thank you so very much for your thank appearance you. tonight. All God right, Steve. All right, Steve God in L.A. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, bye. All right, man. That'll do it. Wow, what a fantastic show. Uh, incredible broadcast this evening. L.A. Marzulli, Steve Quayle, before that, Paul Preston, Dave Hodges. Just a tremendous show. It really was. Joe? That'll do it for us tonight. Until tomorrow, stay safe. God bless. Have a great evening.